0: So normally I go in like somewhat of a chronological order for some reason. I don't know why I have just always done, done it that way. But in this case, I guess I've done one other where I did it out of, uh, order and sometimes I like that. So I thought I would just start with like, um, what is chain stitch and how did you get into sewing?
1: For sure. um, Cool. Chain Stitch actually like starting with Chain Stitch is kind of chronological. Hmm. Um I um had just been it was like the the tough teen years. Oh, yeah. Um I was just going through a bunch of shit. Um I had just gotten back from this um like inpatient rehab program upstate that I got sent to. Uh oh why'd you get like, sent to that? So it was like an alternative to the incarceration program, essentially. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I was on my crazy like kid shit. And I had get, been getting, I had a bunch of little misdemeanors from high school, like rooftop graffiti, smoking weed shit when weed was illegal in New York. Mm-hmm. And um, then there was like one big felony um, just cause I was in my friend's car and there was a bunch of shit in there. And everyone was pretty much fine from it, but because I had all this other stuff, it kind of just compiled everything. And the courts were basically like, all right, like we know that you like potentially have some stuff going for you. Cause I was really into film at the time. I was in this film fellows program called Tribeca film fellows. That was a part of the Tribeca film festival. Um, and like, I, um, yeah, I was doing all this stuff. And so I basically kind of finagled my way out of that one. And, but all of that stuff was over my head. So they were like, all right, if you get in trouble one more time, like something's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then I was in Brooklyn College for a semester for film. Um, and after that first semester, I went to the to visit my family. I came back. I was like, I'm going to drop out of school. Like, um, I don't need it. Mind you, I was just like selling weed and like other drugs. Like I wasn't doing shit. I was right. training at Goodco and like selling weed. Like that's all I was doing. <laughs> and um
0: which is and, not like uh, a problem now, but at the no, time... Yeah, no. Problems. It was also,
1: I think it was just like my, more my headspace than what my physical mm-hmm. activities were. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just had this one small altercation um, with my mom and because I lost the spot I was staying at and like my mom wasn't letting me stay at her crib and I was like storing my stuff in the basement of her building and just like sleeping on rooftops and like crashing at friends. And like I had an altercation um, with my kind of my mom, but more just like the building and the cops were called on me. And that was kind of the thing that pushed it over the edge. So I went to a 30 day like um, detox program upstate, which I was mandated to. And then they recommended a long term treatment program in Troy, New York. Okay. Um,
0: So and, not and, not a nice part. of New York. Yeah, if
1: you know about <laughs> Troy, it's, it's yeah, not no, like it's not no. cool. <laughs> so I mean, there's definitely some beautiful people and some beautiful culture there, as there is anywhere. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, big lack of resources and and not much support from the state up there. So you know, when stuff like that happens, it, it can get like a little bit, uh, you know, you know how it is. It could be a little shiesty over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But it was cool. I was I was actually I was in a program. I was at this place called Hope House. Um, I learned a lot about myself there. Uh, I really look at that time um, as an important time in my life. It was one of the first times I didn't have a phone consistently since I got a phone. It was one of the first times I was sober um, since I started smoking or drinking or doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was great. And then, long story short, um, the music scene in New York kind of was picking up at the time. And uh, my friend Jay at the time, who was going by Baby Glock, um, he had just, I remember I snuck into the computer lab at Hope House and I was like going on Instagram and SoundCloud, even though I shouldn't have been. And I saw that Jay and a few other friends um, were throwing a show. They were doing these shows at at this kid's dad, this kid Holden, his dad was a woodworker and had a wood workshop in Long Island City and they were throwing shows there. Um, Jay shot this video there called Gas Man and it was like one of the first videos anyone I had known done that like was getting views and stuff and I just remember having this moment when I was at Hope House when I managed to get online saw the flyer for the first show they were doing and I was like oh like my friends are throwing shows now like it's our shows now like it's not shows that we're going to it's like shows that we're throwing like Mm -hmm. and I had this moment in my head where I was like I had I have to get back to the city like this is three, four months into me being in that program after I did a month at the one in Carmel, New York, which was the detox. So I was probably out of the city for like four or five months at this point. Mm. Um, and I was like, I have to get back to the city. And, um, I called my lawyer who's like my public defender and, um, basically found out that on paper, I technically wasn't mandated to the program by the courts, which means if I left, I wouldn't go to jail. It was just because the person, the program I was first mandated to the 30 day one, because the person, my counselor there recommended that I go to a long-term treatment center. um, It was like an agreement with the court where like, if I finish this, my charges will be dropped. Like you're on Mm -hmm. the path kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I basically found out I could leave. And everyone was, like, trying to convince me to stay. My mom, my counselor, and that program there. But once I found that out and I heard that my friends were doing these shows in New York... Yeah, you were out. I was like, I'm out of it. Yeah, so So I took my shit. I got on a bus. um, And I came back to the city. And I told one or two friends, but I, like, surprised people at this show. Um, And it was, like, it was crazy. I just remember being, like... um, It was just, like, I was super hyped that my friends were throwing stuff and I was making music under the name taharka at the time and so I got to perform a bit and I remember there was one song I did where like people knew the lyrics to my song and I was like oh,
2: yeah.
1: what the fuck? Like this is crazy. Yeah. Um and so I was back in the city and I chopped it up with my lawyer. Basically my mom was like you can't live here because you didn't do what you said you would. Um yeah. and I was back in the city and my lawyer was like Yeah we have to Get you into something because otherwise the judge is going to be like you left. Like what the fuck? So I I was kind of floating around for a month or two, but then my lawyer found this program for me called Odyssey House on East Sixth Street, which was right near Tompkins. It was East Six between First and Second, I want to say, mm-hmm. and it was a, a outpatient um, a inpatient program like the one I was in upstate New York. It was just on East Sixth Street. So it was crazy. And, like, I was one of the youngest people in there. And it was basically all these dudes who had, like, finagled their way out of jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, if you earned points and, like, certain things by doing chores and shit like that, you could go to, like, two roads Or you could, like, like get a cigarette and smoke it on the stoop. Or, like, you know, there were little things. And we would go to Tompkins every Sunday. And uh, once again, was, like, breaking into a computer lab to, like, tell people to link me at Tompkins on Sunday. And, like, shit like that. Um, and I got kicked out of that program too, because I was sneaking into the computer. And so then I was in, um, an outpatient program just to finish off the time, which was, uh, kind of right off Union Square. I was like 15th and university place. And I had to be there like maybe five days a week at the beginning, then three days a week. And I had to stay sober and like go to multiple meetings there a day. Um, and I had a great counselor there who was super understanding and like, you know, worked with me so that i say all that to say around that time when i finally was in that program and i was just like crashing at friend's crib and just kind of being out here i was like making a lot of work i was making a lot of music and um just had ideas for shit i was trying to make um i me and my friend clay were doing something at the time called baker's club clay um does a few things but he has this brand called funeral and he airbrushes and he makes music too Um, he splits a studio with matt valdez now um who does the atusabe stuff Mm -hmm. um and so at the time clay was working on early funeral stuff and he was like this is really out here like sleeping on roofs like literally like i remember clay's parents went upstate or left the city one time and we like were at his parents crib for the weekend which was nice to have like a house to be at for like for like that weekend and we were just making dj mixes and like art and shit and like smoking all night and we literally like went through their change jar and one time and like like gathered all the like big change that we could and like went to a chinese spot to get food and like i remember we pulled up and paid for like two chinese plates in like change um it was like that was like, you know, was, I think I was still 18 at this time. I don't think I had turned 19 yet. This is like early uh 2015, I wanna say, like spring 2015. Um, and so one time Clay is like, yo, I'm pulling up really, really long story. We're about to get to the chain stitch part, I swear. But <laughs> so, so Clay, um is like yo, I'm about to go to this factory um, to get a sample made for a funeral. You should pull up with me, and so I pull up with him. And it was Knickerbocker, um, which was on Flushing Ave, and it looked kind of familiar. And I realized later that um, Esty, who I was just becoming friends with at the time, or like right before I got sent away, I became friends with Esty. Um, he got the first hats from the hats from the first Cliff collection. Cut and Zone there by Matt Burgess um, and Kelly Heiss who go by Dudu Kaka and Super Creep. Um, and so one time him, um, our friend at the time, Albert, who goes by Biscuit, um, Alex who goes by Ali um, uh, Another homie at the time, Dookie, and I think one other person went with Esky to pick up the samples. And he was like, yo, you should pull up, but I wasn't around or maybe I got sent away or whatever, but the homies at the factory had heard of me because I was going to slide with them that time. So when I pulled up, there was like a few mutuals. So I pulled up with clay and, and, um, um, we pull up and me and clay were actually tripping on acid. Um, and we pull out to the factory to get the sample made. And Brian Blakely, um, who also does chain stitch was making a sample for clay. I think Clay knew him through Anna Corrigan, who's a sick ceramicist. She's actually out here in LA now because they went to new school together. And um, like Clay and Anna went to new school together and she introduced him to Brian. Um, And we pull up and Brian's doing this sample for Clay and I'm literally tripping. And at the time the factory was like a little more like free form, like there weren't as many rules. So like I pull up and these really sick, really fresh older dudes are like smoking a backwood and embroidery, like doing change embroidery for clay sample. And I'm like literally tripping and I pull up and I'm like, yo, what is this? Like, and it just had this huge impact on me. And I remember being very like, I think it would have had a similar impact if I wasn't tripping, but I also was. So it was like just all yeah, like Exponentially. Yeah, I was just yeah. like, whoa, this is insane. And the only experience the garment production I had had was uh, I interned at this place, Works in Progress, in high school, which was a silkscreen stu- like legendary silkscreen studio um, off Bowery on Fourth Street um, through my high school city through my second high school city as where it was like an internship based school. Um, so I had never really been introduced to like cut and sew stuff or embroidery stuff, but like I was a bit familiar just with the idea of making garments and like placement and stuff so i was basically just like yo this is crazy like um i want to be over here like is there a way i can do that and i pulled up on brian blakely who did the sample for clay and i was like yo like i'll sweep the floors here but like i want to be over here like um and once again i was homeless at the time had no money coming in and he was like yo hit jj fleck i believe his name is he's in charge. He's a production floor manager. He's in charge of the internships. And so I hit JJ gave me his number and he was like, yeah, we're actually looking for someone to help out. So I started helping there like once or twice a week. Um, Still super down bad, not valid at my mom's, no bread coming in crashing at homies crashing on rooftops a few times crashed in like the part, like literally like, I remember like a few times like being on my mom's roof till like the sun rose and then like going to central park with a book and just putting it on my face and like posting up under a tree and like catching a few more hours, like super down bad times. Um, Early, yeah. but I was like, you know, I was glad that I had something to fuel me. So i would be at Knickerbocker and, um, I was just peeping game and I was just doing like literally sleep- sweeping the floors and doing inventory work cutting uh like leather and cutting fabric pieces for their production mm-hmm. um learning a lot and then kelly and matt kind of and brian a bit kind of like also kyle um who runs kyle much who runs the employee. um he he kind of was another person who like you know was encouraging for me to start getting on machines. Um he yeah, he has a brand called Demploy. He's like a legend. He thinks still has a studio in Greenpoint. Um and so all these like older um sewers and embroiderers were like basically at my disposal. And the way that Knickerbocker was set up at the time was a lot of them would trade working on the in-house brand to be able to use the factory at night and on the weekends cool yeah um for their own stuff right. and so i was there well, that's how the like, best
0: places operate always, always yeah yeah so they, like, I'd like shops to, anyone like that that exactly lets you have the option of making your own stuff because i yeah. want to work there ex- like much more
1: exactly and um, is you'd be at Intility, right yeah yeah it's kind of is it kind of like that over there a bit yeah so that's
0: exact i mean most of the people i've I've told everyone this, like most of the people that work there, like are musicians or they yeah. have clothing brands of their own. Yeah. And Jim, the guy who runs it, his whole thing is like, if you care about Antilogy or like put in the effort and he sees the love, like he gives that back to you in the sense of like on your own time when the shop's like closing up, he lets people stay uh yeah. and print their own like burn their own screens get their blanks in print their merch and then be able to sell that Yeah. And so like the only thing that we were ever charged for is like just the blanks but like we did the labor ourselves so that having that option of like not needing to pay for the upcharge of like the burning the actual process of making it mm. and then like getting it from the company like that we just did all that ourselves it's uh, yeah, so like, incredible yeah so every i swear like there was maybe a couple people that didn't but pretty much everyone that worked there like definitely printed their own stuff
1: right. yeah and i've never i've never like been in direct contact with jim but i've obviously like
0: been in that like been around
1: like that. i've like yeah like we, we we work with him for cliff stuff and mm-hmm. all this stuff and i've heard about him for years and um i've only heard great things so that's sick yeah, I mean, his whole
0: thing is, like, if you, he's, like, he only wanted people that, like, really love the shit. Because, like, if you have, he was even saying, like, even the, like, person with, like, the lowest tier position, let's say, for lack of a better term, like, someone that's, like, catching shirts and, like, just stacking them. He's, like, yeah. if that person doesn't, like, love or, or care for what they're doing, it, like, taints every other step. Cause that means they're not like into it as much. Maybe they're slower. So like everyone that works there, like he, he has the understanding of like everyone that works there, he wants them to love it and like really care about it. So it means yeah. Intelli- you so much better. Cause every brand that comes in, like knows what's up. It's cool.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, that's amazing. I think that's how it should be. It's definitely how it should be. Me too. Um, I feel the same. I feel the same way. Um, that was going on and then basically like i just remember there was this one day kelly and matt were really the ones who like encouraged me like they were like yo it was, i think part of it too was like they were the closest to my age and also like we would all like smoke together on lunch breaks and shit like that like there was this back room um that the artist, the artist posh god did a huge like dog mural at um and like that was kind of like it led to the back of the factory with a staircase and outside um and like that was like the smoking room like door you'd like stand at the doorway so if it was like really cold or windy like you know because when i first started working there like you could kind of smoke in there at night and the weekends if you put a fan in the window Mm -hmm. um which was part of what had a crazy impact on me when i valued smoking weed in in that way walking into a space where people were like being productive and smoking at the same time yeah yeah i was like yo this is legend like this is so cool like i want to do this right um and so uh but yeah so like i became just actually friends with them aside from working with them and them kind of becoming embroidery and sewing mentors kelly at the time was repurposing authentic um vintage louis and gucci fabrics into like jordans air force ones jeans all this stuff and matt was really starting to take his embroidery to the next level he was collabing with posh god and posh god would do art they were doing these series on vintage uh champion crew yeah um and so i have one here um and so they were doing that and they were the, pe- those two were the ones who like really were like, yo, if you are interested, hop on a machine, like come through after your shift when we're here working on our shit and chop it up, hop on a machine, be careful because these shits are expensive mm-hmm. and do your thing. And I remember there was one day when Kelly first was like, yo, like, you know, you're never going to get on it unless you get on it type of thing. So one day after work, I got on a chain stitch machine for the first time. And I was so curious and excited, and like a few minutes in, like I fucked it up. I fucked the machine up, and I remember being like fucking terrified. I was like, "I'm technically not even supposed to be here. I'm yeah. supposed to be on this machine." Like, fired. what the fuck? And it's crazy because now, you know, years later, like the thing that had happened with the machine, I didn't even fuck it up. There's basically a switch that goes from chenille to chain stitch, and um, like it was just switched off and I didn't know really what was going on at the time. So I freaked out, but that was really a vital moment for me because I kind of had to take it apart and look at videos and there's not really much information on chain stitch. And I felt like I couldn't really ask like Brian or other people cause I was still kind of new and I didn't want to be like, yo, I fucked this machine up. Right. So I had to like, I stayed for like three, four hours. I didn't even get any embroidering that night i just stayed for three four hours and i learned so much about the machine that night and that was one of those turning points for me that um made me kind of not scared to like take something apart and dive into it yeah from like a mechanical you really gotta know how the
0: machine works that's like with everything even if you're screen printing like you should know how everything absolutely in case something breaks like so you don't gotta ask or you can just do it yourself you have
1: to get it serviced yeah like it's like You know, being like self-sufficient and like you no know, comprehensively knowing every aspect of your craft. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, I I I basically, long story short, I started getting to it. Um I have one of my first samples I ever made here. Um and the embroidery quality is terrible. It's horrible. <laughs> um, but I, I, I embroidered something, you know, and I remember being so proud of it and looking back, it's like you know i'm glad i still have it but it's 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 terrible like i could show you at some point but it's like it's terrible <laughs> um so, so but, you were
0: just taking like garments you already had and just like adding little alterations is that little like, just in,
1: at this point just embroidery like i wasn't even okay. really sewing yet
0: like words um, are like just like a little yeah like
1: oh uh, do something? you want me to show you like sure. I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so this is one of the first things i ever made and it's actually funny it's full circle I'm actually about to drop finally years later purification which is like my my little like t shirt graphic brand like, But this people... is the this is the first it's like a like it's based on this um program called purification that l ron Hubbard the dude that invented Scientology, Scientology made yeah, yeah. yeah and it's a it's like a program he created to like teach people how to like Um, detox from drugs and like I was still like a pretty heavy drug user at the time and I thought it was cool and ironic and I found the book and it had all these crazy graphics and I looked it up online and I couldn't find the book anywhere online and I was like I'm about to just like I was looking for a name to get off all my like streetwear and graphic ideas yeah yeah and I was like this is it like I did this shitty like attachment shit on the bottom like it was really like you know very very early yeah
0: yeah yeah, you can even kind of, see on the on the text like it's kind of scrunching the... Uh,
1: exactly. It's like, not like, I, I didn't even like know how to have the fabric properly like taut. So yeah. it wouldn't like, yeah, like bunch up and shit. But that was like, I think probably the first garment I ever did. I'd done scrap pieces and um, I was living with a bunch of girls at the time and cats. And before I moved in, they called the house the Pussy Palace. Okay. So I made this like, I made the first official thing I did was this little like, piece of fabric that we put on our fridge that said like Pussy Palace like 2016 or 17 or whatever year it was um and um so I that was the first garment I did though and then basically I you know I started to actually develop the skill and get a little better and stuff and um long story short management kind of found out that I was like starting to be there like a bunch of nights and like on Saturdays and Sundays with Kelly and Matt. And they weren't pressed. There was this dude AJ um who was very nice and I'm really grateful that um he allowed me the opportunity to learn and grow in Knickerbocker. Um, but you know he was kind of like yo like this is a business and people pay us to use the space and all these machines or they trade work. So like you could either work here more. I was working there one day a week um without pay. You could either work here more without pay and use the space, or you can um, pay to rent, you know, the space and use it. And I just finished the outpatient program; all my legal stuff was clearing up. I was starting to like be a little more focused, and I was like, I would love to do that, but I got to make money. I can't keep doing this. Yeah, yeah.
0: You got other shit you have to pay for. Yeah,
1: I can't keep doing this like kicking it like couch rooftop like literally i was like out here bro when i tell you i was like you know like homies who were around know like i was out here like okay. so i was like i gotta get my shit together i gotta figure something out and by the grace of god i mean i've been calling god mom like i'm, I'm my higher power is mom not my mom but like our mom like the mom oh I so by the grace by the grace of mom, I was able to like, you know, find long story short, I applied for this position on Craigslist. That was the front desk person at a denim repair shop in midtown called denim therapy. I pull up for the interview and I see a chain stitch machine. This is right after, um, I decided to leave Knickerbocker and I see a chain stitch machine. And I was like, Oh, like what is why do you guys have that? And they were like, We just got it. We need it service, but we don't have anyone who knows how to use it. And I was like, uh can I practice on it? And when I get better, do chain stitch for you guys? And they were like, Oh shit, you know how to do this? And I was like, barely. But that was my first like ever setup. So at the beginning I wasn't even getting paid there. I would just go and practice on it and like service it. And then eventually when they started to have commissions come in and they like put on their website and social media. We have chain stitch now. I would do commissions for them. Long story short, like I, from there, I just got into denim repair. I learned about denim repair. Um, I started working. I got to figure, I would have to look on paper to figure out the exact order. But the next few years, I had all sorts of gigs, uh, self edge, um, doing denim repair. Uh, This brand called Denim uh repair.com which was run by eric goldstein who um have you seen how to make it in america
0: i don't think so damn legendary
1: show i bring that up because in one of the early episodes they're trying to make a denim company and they're like trying to find production in new york to get these jeans made and they find this dude they go to a jean shop and the owner of Gene Shop was this dude Eric Goldstein, who's a legend in the industry. He helped start Double RL with Ralph right after college. He was early in the denim wash game, and he was working for Ralph at the time. And he told me the story that like Ralph pulled him and another employee aside at the time, and he was like fresh out of college, and Ralph was like, "Yeah, I'm starting a denim line, and you guys are going to be the first employees." Um, and so he has all these like wash patents with Ralph that he still like eats off of to this day,
0: and like That's he's cool. basically just wash patents. I've never even yeah like thought the denim
1: of shit. That. The denim shit gets as deep, a, bro. It gets really yeah. deep. Like the denim like, game. Actually, like, you wouldn't wouldn't crazy. think that
0: as a as a thing. You wouldn't you even think patent. of that, but it's it's
1: super real. And he said to this day, he still eats off washes that they use that he came up with Ralph, and like and he'll which, like, like in license 80s. it
0: like out yeah, well, people to be able to He was to actually it.
1: telling me that one thing that's really cool about Ralph is if you come up with some, like a crazy idea while you work for him, he'll patent it under the company, but also you. Right. So, so you can eat off it for the rest of your life, but also like, you know, which is amazing. Cause a lot of companies would just take your shit. And like, you know, I think that's part of the longevity of Ralph is like people fucking love him. he treat, he treats his people from what I've heard. He treats his employees. With respect and I think that's part of why he's has the longevity I mean even if you look at the Morehouse collection they did the creative director of that part of Polo Ralph is like this dude who actually went to Morehouse you know the fact that Ralph had the insight to have like a young black kid who's a creative director at his brand lead the collab with Morehouse and Spellman. you know what I'm saying like there's a reason why he's still relevant, and he's, I think, one of the best American designers of all time. Um, but that's that's well, a whole. Honestly, different.
0: I know people like really love Ralph, but I've never heard like people really talk about like him with so much respect. It's mm, not mm, like mm. It's a, like something I've really looked into. I guess.
1: Mm. Yeah, when I get into something, I like nerd out and I go yeah, you go into <laughs> it. Like so, like I like you know. I'm a big believer in the Bronx being um, one of the best boroughs in New York and it being, I'm not even from the Bronx, I'm from uptown Manhattan, but Hmm. like, you know, fucking graffiti and hip hop started there. Kubrick and Ralph are from there. You know what I'm saying? Like all this incredible, yeah, like all this incredible culture comes from the Bronx. Like I really think the Bronx and Queens are like, you know everyone knows manhattan and shit but like to me the bronx and queen and like brooklyn legendary too like i got love for my whole city you know what i'm saying but like let's hop back f- to just eric goldstein he worked for ralph when he was younger and then he did jean shop with his wife and that summer i that i worked for him i was hustling really really hard so the breakdown was denim therapy doing chain stitch first time exposed to denim repair but i wasn't doing it at all there my friend cody parks was working at self edge at the time shout out cody he got me the job at self edge i learned from basically a master andrew chen who is one of the co-founders of self edge how to do denim repair was able to get on a darning machine for the first time which is the like mid-century cast iron machine that has a cylinder instead of a flatbed you could put the gene on it and the needle just goes up and down and you just move the gene back and forth the cylinder is there so you could get into hard to reach places like the crotch and stuff without opening up the jean
0: and having to reset it. It just fixes like the breaking up of the. But, the like where there's a area.
1: hole, basically where there's a hole, you have to get it flat and kind of like clean it up, maybe trim like the excess threads. Mm-hmm. And then you just hold it taut over the cylinder and you go back and forth. And the needle just goes up and down and it basically just fills that area with thread. So instead of. It
0: makes pack, sense because it's like a curved it's like exactly. a cool spot yeah
1: exactly so if there's a patch there the jean can rip again at the seam where you put the patch but with this there's no seams it's just like thread filling the hole basically creating cool. more new fabric yeah it's really really cool and so there and then from there i think this is the order self edge i did um after self edge i was at lauren denim in greenpoint shout out lauren Really great dude, learned a ton there. Um, that was actually my first encounter with tailoring a bit because he did um, custom jeans from scratch too. So I wasn't really doing tailoring there, I was doing embroidery and repair, but I learned that I got exposed to it a bit. From Lauren Denim, I started working for, um, after that, I was at, wait, so it was Denim Therapy, Self Edge, denimrepair.com. It actually might've been Lauren denim after self edge, okay. then denim, then DenimRepair.com, And I was hustling really hard that summer. I worked at Pret manger, that cafe in the morning opening shift, 5am to 11am. would take the path train to Jersey to go to Eric's studio in the basement of him and his wife's house, do the denim repair there. Cause he had jean shop, but he was like just starting denim repair.com. Mm-hmm. And, and then I worked for them from noon to six. So I was working 5am to 6pm that whole summer. I remember that was the first summer I bought like a designer piece of clothing. I got these acne sunglasses and I remember being like, this is so cool that I can afford to like buy like cool designer piece.
0: Yeah. Cause Um, you work for so long, no paychecks dude. Like no money for work. And, but that was like
1: my, that was my exchange of like not going to design school or sewing schools. Like, right. Like, you know, working for free in internships. Like I was always the person like, way i got to knickerbocker you know i was always the person to just ask like what can i do to be here and be in this space and soak it up and learn and a lot of times when you don't you know have something to offer you you got to just do it for free so you could like learn Mm -hmm. and so really starting to make money that was that was cool for me and um so then so after that um after denimrepair.com i uh if i'm not mistaken i got the gig at apc which cody also got me shout out cody parks um he was working there and i met one of my really good friends omer there um i was working retail omer will come back into the story later um very important part of my story too shout out Omer. and um so i was working part-time at apc and doing denim repair for their butler program which is the program where people bring in their old apcs get a new pair for half off apc repairs their old jeans and sells them for basically a 50 percent markup of what their new jeans sell for um so people can get that like wear and the honey combing in on the back of the knees and all this nice wear stuff that some people don't want to put in the years of work that that takes for themselves so I was ringing at APC at the time and it was cool. Like they, you know, it was nice. They had opportunities for me. And I was actually talking with my boss, not my boss in the store, but like big boss in the office about doing a denim repair event there. But I was kind of like also not really interested. I was starting to like be frustrated with working retail, even though it was part time. And then I had that life changing trip in 2019, like we talked about, um, mm-hmm. to Japan with Estee and that like hopefully we can get into that trip later but like life-changing trip you know Mm -hmm. and i came back and i was like i don't really want to be doing retail like i want to i feel like there's more i could do and then from there i had the opportunity to work at levi's um the meatpacking district um and work on the levi's lot one program which is where you can come in and have bespoke jeans made by levi's they're like thousand dollar levi's you get fitted and you work with the tailors to choose everything from like the rivet colors to the thread colors to the type of denim they have denim that they don't make Levi's out of. You know, they have like vintage cone American denim and salvage Japanese denim and all this stuff that like, you know, and rare like Levi's patches based on vintage Levi's patches and all sorts of stuff. Like we had binders filled with all the types of selections you could go in. Pretty cool. I'm sorry. It's pretty cool, honestly. Yeah, no, it was yeah. really sick. And I, if I had worked there longer, I would have got my old pair of Lot Ones. Mm-hmm. But I kind of, I, I bounce around a lot because if I have an opportunity to learning, bro, I just yeah, kinda yeah, kinda keep yeah. on it, yeah, yeah. So um, that was an amazing experience, and my boss there, Dayuna Morgan, shout out Dayuna, and then also one of the bigger homie who was working there, Kaloy who's also sick. Like I learned a lot from them about tailoring there because they were making the jeans from scratch. And I was mainly doing embroidery, chain stitch embroidery and denim repair there. But um, I was able to like kind of really get my hands on the tailoring stuff. Even though I had been exposed to it a little bit at Lauren Denim, um, I wasn't really doing it there because they made jeans from scratch there too. Um, but uh, so lot one was like the first place I really got, you know, exposed to it. And then I had an opportunity to help open up um nordstrom flagships denim bar they're opening a flagship woman's store they had a men's store already 59th street in the city and they're opening up like a seven-story flagship it was this whole new revolutionary idea they have restaurants inside they have a liquor mm-hmm. license for the whole whole store which was the first of its kind so like people could people get walk something. around
0: with a drink would get drinks from one of the
1: bars which was great business wise because people would be drunk buying to buying stuff spending yeah yeah so it was like you know and it was cool i got brought in there maybe july august 2019 and the store opened in october so it was really cool it was one of my first experiences working on something that wasn't open yet and kind of getting behind the scenes look having input on how the denim bar should be positioned and where the machine should go. And like I said, there were 30 or 40 tailors there, but only two or three embroiderers. So the tailors are all in the basement, like no windows, just doing alterations for everything from like gowns to like suiting, which I had no experience in. I was just doing denim tailoring and repair, but I learned a lot about tailoring there from like OGs who had been in the game for like years. And it was my first time having a really good job. and uh, it was my first time having benefits, and I was making all this money. And I remember, like, my family was so proud because, like, you know, just years before I was like homeless. Dude, you know, yeah. around. So I remember my grandparents and my aunts and uncles being like, wow, you have a job with benefits with no degree? Like, that's crazy, you know? And so, but then I ended up um, leaving just kind of partially out of boredom and dissatisfaction because. Like I said they had a liquor license in the whole store so a lot of what I was dealing with was like just drunk people asking for like their name embroidered on something they just bought which was a good learning lesson in terms of how to deal with customers and like clients yeah. but I just started to not like chain stitching and I was like I got to get out of here it's starting to affect my relationship with this art form that I love and so um from there Omer from APC He had just got brought on to Bodie um, and was starting to, I forgot his official title when he first started working there, but he was working in the studio. They hadn't had a store yet. It was still their studio on East Broadway and they were expanding and they were about to open their first store. They hadn't opened the store yet, but basically they were looking for someone to do chain stitch samples to get sent to production Uh, because Emily Bodie, who runs Bodie, she's really, you know, the whole narrative of her brand is like, Old Americana and vintage clothing. Yeah, and so a lot and like chain stitch embroidery was like an old technique that was used um, initially for like varsity jackets and like a lot of like blue collar work, like um, script names on people's like hmm. like electricians' jackets and yeah. like, stuff like that and yeah, that looked,
0: mechanics you
1: know, before there was computerized embroidery, you know. So. Yeah she was really interested in doing chain stitch for her brand and I got brought on to do their chain stitch samples. And so I was doing that for them. And then I was like, you know what, I'm bored of Nordstrom. I think I can make enough money working with Bodhi. I'm going to quit. And so I just took the leap and then they eventually opened the store on Hester Street and I'd already known the brand and Emily thought I looked good in the clothes. And I said, I'd never do retail again, but it was such a special opportunity. Um, and Omer was basically about to run the store himself before they had more employees. So I would work in the store on Saturdays, right. When they, opened like, this is like, you know, they had just opened the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would work in the store on Saturdays, um, just to hold it down on Omer's day off. And I was still doing embroidery samples for them from the crib. And, um that was like, you know, a really great experience. I'd say that was some of the first time I was really doing design work because Emily would give me a reference for embroidery stuff and I would have to kind of make it feasible and like resize it and recolor it and stuff and use my own input. Um, and that was an amazing experience to be able to do a sample and see it go into production. It was a really, really big moment for me. And I got to meet um, Aaron Ajula, who's, Emily's husband now, who does Green River Project. Yeah, interior um,
0: design, right? Interior
1: and furniture. And that was some of my first time. I was already kind of getting into interior and furniture stuff, but he was a huge inspiration to me, just seeing how he moved. He had had an art practice before Green River Project started because him and his partner, Ben, were sharing an art studio. They were working for bigger artists and making their own work. And then they just had the most fun building out stuff for their studio. And they were like, yo, let's start like making furniture for homies and doing interiors. And that's how Green River started. So just his energy his very can-do attitude. I really look up to Aaron. He's been a huge part of my design journey. And he was super open and receptive to sharing knowledge with me and answering my questions. And it felt like it was one of the first times that someone who was doing really cool shit really valued my opinion. Like we'd be in the store and Aaron would kind of just like, asked me for help with visual merchandising and being like, yo, do you think this candle should go here? Do you think, you know? And it was like, I was like, wow, this dude actually is in dialogue with me and values my opinion. Um,
0: That is like a under, that's like such an understated thing. Cause I feel like a lot of times when you're like working your way up and in any industry, like having someone that is at like what you view as like a higher, higher position that you look up to actually care about what you're saying. It's such a like simple thing, but a lot of people don't give a shit. Like they don't even care about your opinion. So when they do, I know that when I've been around people and they they're actually like genuinely want to know, hey, should I leave this here? Or like, should I should does this look good? I'm like, holy fuck, like that's refreshing.
1: Damn, you like care about what I have to say. Yeah,
0: you act like we're we're equals here. Like we're
1: <laughs> yeah. And And so also Bodhi was impactful for me because, you know, it was and is, you know, one of the hottest new brands. And so really sick people were coming in the store. I was making a lot of connections. I was just seeing how to start and run a business, a COVID brand.
0: And Bodhi's kind of cool too. Uh, I think, interestingly enough, because I know a lot of men will run like, like, like female like fashion brands but it's cool for for emily to run like a menswear brand and also it's predominantly she has like a, whim, a like a woman predominantly woman factory like in yeah. right in the city yeah. like making the menswear so
1: that's a cutty that's a cuddy
0: fact dude i i when dude, I, I read that is, yeah is, and i have to say she's pretty dope in that sense that it's like it's like women fully like running this menswear brand she's like bringing men in but it's like i don't know it's cool
1: emily's sick too really really sick you know i have um in the way that i do about anything i care about i i do have you know some critiques about some of the work she makes and you know some of the stuff she puts out but uh i have a lot of respect for emily and she's also one a person who has been really impactful in my career and outlook and um like another person who early was like valuing like what I thought about placement and coloring and sizing. And totally. so she, she had a really big in, and she was such a sweetheart to me and like supportive of, of me and you know what I was trying to do. And um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, that was really impactful for me. And this is like, I think fall 2019, the store opened in October. And so I was just like hustling there, working the store one day a week. I was living in Harlem at the time um and i was had my chain stitch machine in my house in my studio i had a murphy bed so i had this room and i would fold up the murphy bed and i had a straight stitch oh, machine cool. a serger and my chain stitch machine and i would fold up the bed every morning and just get to work i had a cutting table in there and everything cool and that that was one of the first times i feel like i felt like a professional like artist and designer you yeah know, i was like yeah. living in harlem hustling running down to town. yeah 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 i was doing chain stitch commissions i had officially started the chain stitch page maybe 2 years before in 2017 um and i was just like doing commissions and doing Bodhi commissions and because of the Bodhi stuff too i was getting some more visibility and like i was doing stuff for friend brands and it was great and then um you know some months are coming by and it's early 2020 and um you know everyone's doing their thing and I go to Portland to visit my friend Julian, a friend I grew up with, who had moved there right after high school to kind of get into the weed business early. And he was really successful and he kept wanting me to come out and visit him. And his birthday was like March 11th, I think, or March 9th. And so I went March 9th or whatever, 2020, just like it was supposed to be for a few days. And then it was COVID.
2: Yeah. And so,
1: yeah. So like everyone was like, know i literally remember talking to emily like yo i'm gonna stay for a few extra days but i'll be back maybe a week or so and she was like yeah it's probably for the better um at the very very beginning of COVID, and then like boom like i actually used the excuse because i I have a heart condition i used the excuse that my doctor didn't want me to fly because it was like so early in COVID that like people were still traveling and shit was still chill but i wanted to stay in oregon a bit longer and like just kind of be on vacation a bit longer and so I kind of used the excuse like, oh, my doctor doesn't want me to fly. And she was like, oh, let's chill. Like, just hit me when you're back and like, we'll get back to it. We have some samples ready for you to work on. And I was in Oregon for five months. Holy and,
2: shit.
1: Yeah. And so we had SP come out. We had out. a few friends come out and we were just all working on, you know, my friend's weed business and um, which had started out completely illegal and was starting to turn legal and stuff, you know, so mm-hmm. it was like, there was money to be made. I hope this isn't hot boy, but like, you know, we were stacking because we were doing that off the books and getting unemployment. Um, right. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, no, is the IRS going to listen to this podcast? I think it'll be fine.
0: I mean, if you, if you get big time and they come back to audit you through this, that would be kind of fucked. That'd be OD, but you know what? That'd be I'll insane. Feel are like time, time
1: stamping me. you and shit. No, nah, we could beat the case if anything. I, I'm confident <laughs> that by that time we'll figure it out. But anyway, so that was an amazing experience too, just because I was so inspired to see my friend who had turned, respectfully, I hope he's okay with me talking about this, but respectfully I turned him selling dimes in high school to like an actual business, you know, something right. that multiple people could eat off of his mom was helping it. We had a bunch of other homies from New York come out to help with us and I was basically doing logistics for like what was becoming a big brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there, I was stacking. I came back to New York in July and SD was out there with us for a few months. So he was stacking a bit too and came back to New York, July, 2020, uh, like four or five months after I'd went to Oregon. And, um, me and Esty were like, yo, we got a little bread in our pockets for the first time. Like, Let's do something fun. Like, what should we do? And we were considering just popping out to LA and renting a this sick live work Airbnb studio that Espy had stayed at for a few days with his girlfriend at the time when they were on vacation in LA. And we were like, "Yo, we should just rent that out, not have jobs, put up like most of our bread up, and just make shit for three months. Music, art, clothes, whatever we want. Let's just post up." We thought about it a bit more, and we were like, "Ah, we feel like we could do something a little more generative." And that's where we got the idea to do projects. Yeah. And so I found the space. SD was actually still in Oregon, I think. And we set a budget and like, I found the space on Craigslist. I sent it to him and he was like, yo, that's the one. And we found it. We locked down the lease. He got back to the city. Our lease started like August. Mm-hmm. And then we did project space. And that was like a life-changing experience. And project space essentially was us making a space that we didn't think existed that we always wanted. Right. So it was like everything from homies being able to pull up when they're downtown and hop on the Wi Fi and work on their own projects to helping us there with Cliff and chain stitch stuff. So it was like a small space, it was maybe 250 square feet. Um, but I made like a curtain out of scraps, old Cliff shirts and old chain stitch, stitch scraps. And we split the space in half. And even though it was a super small space, there were two doors. And Will Vanzi, who's a legendary sign painter, shout out Will. He basically painted our signs. We paid him, but it was basically free. Like we basically paid him just for material, just because he believed in us. He's done signs for everyone in the city. He did the good co-sign, like everything, you know? So he, we put it, I wanted the chain stitch logo on my door originally, but when he sent us examples of what he could do, he sent us a gold leaf tea. And yeah, when yeah, I was exactly. making when I was making the chain stitch account, I wanted just the name Chain Stitch because I like the idea of like the way that people call tissues Kleenex or bandages band-aids, like those are brand names that have become so yeah, synonymous. Like
0: ping pong and table tennis.
1: Exactly. So yeah. like those are brand names that have become so synonymous with what the thing is that people call the item the the brand, brand name. Man. and i loved that concept so I, was, I just wanted to call my chain stitch brand chain stitch and the name with how it's spelled was taken on instagram so i did it with one t and that became the branding for it so it's chain stitch one t and so when will Vanzi got back to us and it was like i can do the cliff logo with black outlining gold gold leaf i can do the Project Space logo that a friend patty mcmullins who's i've never met in person he's an online friend And i met him because he copped the first cut and sew piece i made in like 2018 which was these pair of mta pants
0: these pair of cargo pants out of the towels yeah
1: and like that's a whole other long story yeah where i did it was my first thing i did a pre-order i found these towels on canal street with the subway map on it and i had made a pair of pants for myself and people loved them and i was like i'm gonna do a pre-order i got like maybe 10 to 12 orders um and sold them for way too cheap like i didn't know what i was doing my pattern
0: was selling for 120 dollars damn it's a
1: seven pocket cargo pant with a hammer
0: you did a nice job on the end too the cinch at the bottom is like really nice the lay on them yeah mel mel has a pair
1: so if you ever want to see them in person mel has a pair i actually don't even personally have a pair of the final sample I have the early samples just because I slacked on them and like, it was hard. I had to make 12 pairs of pants and like, it was a lot. And honestly, I didn't enjoy it by the end, but it was a great learning experience. But long story short, I got the pre-orders and then they discontinued the towels. So I had to get the towels made custom sublimation by ended up. So my production costs went up crazy. I ended up paying like 60, $70 for materials and I was selling the pants for 120. And the labor that went and into the labor, the labor is mad. So I was doing, a, dude. It's a seven-pocket pant with a hammer loop, uh, authentic Timberland drawstrings on the top and bottom, and I was attaching these gold, like, hardware pieces to the to the um, laces by hand. So this is like, you know, this should be respectfully like a thousand-dollar pant, you know. But I had no clue what I was doing at the time. All this shit, whatever. And so Patty copped and he's been an online friend ever since. And on some like pandemic Black Lives Matter shit, he reached out to me and Esty and was like, yo, if you guys need any graphic design or 3D work, I want to do that for free for you guys to kind of put up my labor to figure out how I could help and shout out Patty. I can't wait till we go to London and like actually link up in person. Like, He's a legend. Like, that's going to be a friend for life. Someone I'll always work with. Like, he really, the fact that he just supported me off the strength, never met me, copped a pair of pants, was super patient when they that's took cool, like They took double the amount of time it was supposed to, like, you know, and he just supported me and like was sick. One thing that was really inspiring and great for me about the pants was a lot of it was friends who copped, like Mel and our friend Gabriella um Chan Fussner, who's on cliff team she had she just started her own brand called weddy and it's like beauty products um and she's a legend she's like gabby's a big part of my whole story too but um gabriella my man and um she copped too and so it was nice that a lot of friends and people in the community copped but also patty this person i never met in london um he copped and so he did he like we were like yo we're actually starting the studio project space we need logos and we sent him references and dude send send us like maybe 20 to 30 logos Holy all God. fire and like was up for revisions edits like you know thousands of dollars of graphic design work and design work for free just on some like yo as a white person let me give some labor up to you guys during this like crazy time and like so he did our project based logo it was amazing so Will Vanzi was like, I can do the Cliff logo, I can do the Project Space logo, the chain stitch logo is a little intricate, and I don't know if I could hit it right. And so when he sent us his work examples, one of the things he sent us as a work example was this gold leaf T, and I was like, Yo, can you just do that on my door, and just the one T? And he was like, Uh, sure. So we had the T on my door, the Project Space logo in the middle window, and the Cliff logo on Estee's door. Yeah, so. That was amazing. We had a little window display. It was like this basement in this building called Wing Fat Mansion. And it was all Chinese people in the building. And I think the landlord only rented it to us on some desperate COVID like get the space off shit. Yeah. Because we were literally not only the only like non-Chinese people in the building, but like the only black people. And it was an office building upstairs. And in the basement it was a bunch of little shops. Um, And so we had our shop. And uh, out of respect to the space, we got project space in Chinese on a sign to hang above our door because oh, cool. everyone had hanging signs in there so we like consulted with a few of the Chinese homies to make sure that like we were doing it right not butchering the spelling yeah getting, like matching because there's a lot of dialects and styles I mean I've even heard that the style of calligraphy can change the tone
0: of what you're saying yeah um, like in, Chinese. in Mandarin
1: um I think it was like it was we matched what everyone else's sign was and i don't remember what it was specifically because we had a few iterations but it was like a specific style of potentially cantonese okay or something i'm not exactly sure don't quote me on that but sd has it hanging in his room still we had one of the project space logos in it and we had project space in chinese on it and like we kind of got the approval from the ogs in our building there's this dude named ting sung who's across hall from us who basically is credited with bringing feng shui to america he helped do the feng shui for like the oval office and like the trump towers and all this shit he had pictures with like trump in the hallway it was like kind of outdated because trump has just got elected but like yeah yeah he's this legendary old chinese dude and when we set up project space he came in and just like Gave us a thumbs up and said the floor was good in the space. And that meant everything to us. When he approved the sign and a few other OGs on the floor approved our sign, it kind of opened it up for us to like be more in community and conversation with the people in that floor and on that space. So that was amazing for us. And Project Space, we ran that for a year, dude. It was incredible. Um, And we had a little window display in the hallway. And we were like, yo, we should show homies artwork. In the hallway, a couple people you interviewed, um, Shayna, and actually you're supposed to have Chris Kearn's in the show too, but like it just didn't work out. So our first show was Andre Thompson, who's a freaking legend. That's the homie. He helps out on Cliff Team too. That was the first show. Second show, I believe, was Alicia Brockenberry, who's uh, goes by Righteous Path 2002. She's up in Connecticut. Another legend. We met her because she was working on Dirt Cut and sew Dirtbag with Phil the Post at the time. Um, she had um, a show there and then our third show was the homie Frank Dory, he had a big clip yeah he's sick and then our fourth show was Shana Um, and she had an amazing show there and so our whole idea was let's call it Gallery Project Space and we spelled it like the French spelling of gallery and with the E and we would do press releases and like uh, like an item list if people wanted to buy the work and wanted to treat it as much like a real like bougie blue chip gallery as possible because it was a window display in a basement in chinatown um so i actually wanna i just i saw this piece while we were on a quick pause Okay. i was in my kitchen and i saw this piece that i got gifted from these dudes i used to work for and so i want to rewind just a tad because um Uh, It's important to the story and to stuff that we'll get in later. Okay. Um, But so this is uh, a piece from these guys, Chen Chen and Kai Williams. And they have a design studio called Chen Chen and Kai Williams. Um, And I um, got introduced to them because when I was working at APC in like 2018, I saw, um, I had just been getting into like, finding out about Emily Bodie and her work Mm -hmm. and they had this um series where I think it was like right it was like I think they were kind of because of all the activations Virgil was doing at the time with Nike Nike was like oh we should also do our own outside of the ones that Virgil does and so they were getting these like up and coming artists and designers to lead these kind of like master classes, And you had to submit kind of like application to get in. And it was like a one day, like three or four hour class at the Nike NYC store in like the studios upstairs. And so I was looking at them and I was going to do the one with Emily Bodhi is like about textiles and stuff. And then I saw this one that Chen Chen and Kai Williams were doing. And I looked up their work and I was like, enamored you know with it like they were doing all these cool rock furniture and one of the things that made them really big was these mirrors um with uh uv glued um rock slices on the back of a piece of glass and then they would pour silver like silver tinning on the back side and then the effect would basically you'd hang it up and it would be a mirror with i can send you a picture but it'd be a mirror with like it would look like the mirror part was like liquid moving and then there'd be rocks like flat faced sliced rocks lining the edge of the silver part. Hmm. And that's what this piece is part of that working process. I'll get into it in a sec, but long story short, they were leading like a design thing. And it was right when I was starting to really get into like furniture and interiors and all this stuff. So I was like, let me do that. You know, I have a bit more experience with the textiles and, and, you know, sewing stuff. Let me do that one because I'm starting to get more into interiors and furniture.
0: Yeah, keep expanding.
1: Exactly. And so I was trying to, like, impress them and I wanted to, um, you know, try to work or intern for them. So I made them these two pencil bags from scratch and I embroidered their logo on them. I made two of them to bring to them. And so um, I applied for the master class. I got in. It's like 20, 30 kids, and we pulled up and um, we pulled up and the prompt was to make a piece of furniture, a chair. Everyone got this like IKEA chair template, basic chair template, and a bunch of materials. And the prompt was to make a chair inspired by the bubbles in the Nike Air Max. So I wove like this PVC tubing by hand in like this three-hour class i was going hard Wow! and i woke up the edges yeah i was was actually pretty impressed and like honestly some higher-ups from like nike portland who were there were like taking pictures of my chair and shit and i was like you guys aren't gonna steal my idea and Mm -hmm. i remember right and i remember this one lady like just laughed she didn't say no she just laughed and i was like what the hell like yes we are (laughs) but chen who was there kai came a little later but chen was there the whole time he was like pretty impressed by this and we were talking, and then I had the pencil bags on deck and I gave it to him. And he was like, Yo, this is so sick. Like, adada. and I was like, Yeah, I'm like trying to work for you guys intern. I basically pulled what I did at Knickerbocker. I was like, Yo, adada, how could I get in there? And he was like, Word, like we have some extra help right now, but there will be a time and we'll reach out. And this was like 2018. And we tried to line it up. And then I was about to start being in their studio a day a week, um, fall 2019. And it and we kept pushing it back. And then they were like, all right, you'll start in March.
0: Yeah. And then it was 2020. Fun.
1: And then yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So um that, you know, and then so when I got back to the city and stuff started opening up, and me and SD had project space, I reached out again and they were like, Yeah, come through a day a week. And then at the time, I was dating this girl, Emma Suchuk, who's an incredible painter, um, big inspiration and like catalyst for my like uh fine artwork and painting stuff she actually made that painting she gave it to me for my 23rd birthday i think wow, the 24th amazing. birthday yeah yeah she's amazing she does a lot of paper pulp painting and like color field stuff and like stuff with repurposing construction work um she's sick shout out emma and so she just got a really sick and cheap studio in sunset park and it was pretty big and there was this weird like spare room attached to it that the Landlord didn't even really know about or acknowledge that was an abandoned old office. So she was basically like, Yo, this rent is so cheap. If you throw on it with me, we could just split this studio. And it was a few blocks away from Chen and Kai's Sunset Park studio. So I was working for them a day or two a week at their studio. I would paint after I'd be there and at nights at the studio me and Emma had in Sunset Park a few blocks away. I lived in Clinton Hills, my first time living alone, and me and SD had Project Space. Mm-hmm. So I was running around and basically like, three four spaces at that time
2: yeah and it was
1: amazing because i felt like oh like i'm a professional artist and designer you know i'm still hustling i'm still interning for someone and chen and kai i was like y'all work for you guys for free and they were like dude it's 2020 like that's illegal (laughs) and Uh so they paid me minimum wage to like assist in their studio which is amazing it was my first time being exposed to rock to glass to metal Um, i'd done a little bit of wood stuff before I made this chain stitch pickup and drop off box before we had project space to have downtown. So people could clients could pick up and drop off their items. And I made it too big because I had, didn't really have design experience at first. So they let me like come there and like alter it in my free time with their woodworking tools. Like they were amazing. They were super like generous um, to me. And also because it was my first time having an apartment and I had kind of this money from the pandemic, I was able to like furnish my first apartment alone um, in Clinton Hill at the time. And that was really the start of SOPA, which is like now my like interior design architecture object um, brand. And so that was like a big turning point for me with the design stuff in terms of interiors and objects and architecture stuff. Um, So I didn't want to leave that out. Um, But yeah, so we had project space going it was amazing all this stuff was happening and then um I was just we were in me and Esty would like pop out to LA for like work and stuff and just like pulling up on homies while we had project space and I was at um I was doing a studio visit with the big homie Chris Cadaver um in LA and he's like really I'm sorry who's that Chris is really sick. He moved from Miami. I don't know when, but he moved from Miami to help his big homie, um, Julian, the dude who does stray rats. And so Chris is like, yeah, yeah. yeah, Chris cadaver is basically like, I'd say probably like one of the first stray rats employees to my knowledge, or like helped start stray rats with Julian. Um, he does more his own thing now, but he's really sick. And he had recently moved to LA like during pandemic. Um, and so I went to do a studio visit with him when I was out there. And then after we did the studio visit, we went to the other big homies crib, Cam Hicks, who's a photographer. Um, and we pull up there and um, we were just chopping it up. And I met this kid, Darren, who's really sick. And I remember we connected because he's Asian and I'm half Filipino. So we had that like Southeast Asian kind of connection. It was cool. We started following each other and shit. And during that trip, I'm on the plane going back home. And he puts on his story, his like close friend story, like looking for like a junior technical designer. Um, and my kind of eyes perked up because I was trying to do more design work through the chain stitch stuff and working for Emily Bodie and all this stuff and seeing Aaron operate. I was like getting more and more into design and I wanted to like really design. Right. And, um, you know, me and Esty had both had like a few just run-ins with like um, Supreme SD was like submitting references to to Supreme through um, his like homie through good co and all this stuff. And um, my big homie Kim, a few years ago, Kim Nguyen who has her own brand now called Nguyen Inc. um, And she does like consulting design work. She went to FIT with SD and I met her through, I met her through him a few years before, but when she was working at Supreme she kind of tried to like alley me this opportunity for junior designer and mind you i was just doing chances at the time i hadn't really this is when i worked at apc still so, right um or maybe in between jobs i didn't even have a job at the time like i was doing a casting call in soho and i ran into her on the street when she was on her lunch break at the supreme office and she was like yo do you do design or technical design and i told her yes even though i didn't because that's just how i am right and long story You'll short figure it she got, out. <laughs> yeah she basically yeah. put me on to what it was and i stayed up for like two three works uh, two three weeks off yerba mate just learning like trying to i think i was doing the pret um or maybe it was working for lauren Denham at the time so either right before like right after the pret stuff or my timeline i gotta figure out but it was all like 2018 summer, i want to say And um, I stayed up for like two, three weeks off Yerba Mate once she put me on to even what tech design was. Mm -hmm. And I learned, I was watching videos, how to learn, use Illustrator. Like that's how I learned how to technical design. And I didn't even end up getting the job. And I was a little salty about it, but I was super underqualified. Like I totally get it. Like, you know, and, you know, I'm a very open and vulnerable person. So like, I hope everyone's okay with me sharing these things, you know, but like I'm one of those people that like, I always think that people should be transparent because you never know what kid is listening with aspirations. And I want people to know what I actually went through, you know, and my actual story. I don't want to hide parts. Dude, of that's it.
0: the, that's the best. You gotta, you gotta do that shit. Like you saying, like you were telling people like, yeah, I know how to do that when you did it. Like, that's real shit. That's cool that yeah. you went up to that and you were like, yeah, no, I knew how to do that. Even though you, it's
1: couldn't. part of the hustle, you know? Yeah. And so I didn't even I I, that that gig ended up falling through. And I kinda was crushed because at the time I was like, This is gonna take me to the next level. Like I don't have a design degree, but like I just took this pattern making course at FIT, like I'm about to work at Supreme, you know, like wow. Like and I was super underqualified, but I was you know, we were going back and forth and Kim was like, Oh, my boss asked you to submit some more designs, like she was like, You have a design portfolio, right? And I was like, Yeah, and then I made one, you know? And so my and looking back to like my tech packs were now being comprehensively in actually technical design my tech packs were so janky dude like they they were janky as fuck but i basically just like kind of she showed me her portfolio and like i just like kind of like did what i could and i'm proud of it but like they were janky
0: <laughs> and yeah. so i mean you figured it out on the fly like there's people really going cool. to school like or doing Do that on their own times since high school
1: yeah exactly so but through that I kind of knew how to do some technical design stuff. So I did like a few weird janky like freelance things um and started to build my, you know, just on the side, but hadn't really touched it for a year or two since then, other than like helping SD with like cliff tech packs very basically just on some like graphic print shit, measuring sizes. Like I remember because of that portfolio I made for trying to get that job, I ended up making silhouettes for like shirts and shorts and sweats that we ended up using later on for cliff silhouettes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's all generative. It's all like, at that time I felt like, Oh, I made this whole thing for nothing, but like ended up coming in handy.
0: Yeah. Um, is and that, so is that like route, like you kind of getting into more of that design work. Is that how you started to eventually like form a relationship maybe with like Chris Gibbs and like your current job with union? Yeah that's exactly how
1: so long story short not long story short long story um (laughs) i i i um so fast forward you know back to like project space we had like a few more months on the lease me and Esty were both back and forth to la for work and other shit and i had this experience where i was like with chris cadaver he uh, and then we all we went to the homie um cam spot just to see a few homies i remember that was the first time i met the homie sebastian who goes by yeek who's an amazing musician and like There was a few other New York homies who were kicking it at cam spot. Um, And I met this kid, Darren there. And then I'm on the flight back to New York and Darren posts on his close friends or something like, Oh, uh, looking for a technical junior technical designer. And I remember my, ears I didn't even know what he did at the time, but I remember my ears perking up and being like, yo, like, I'm kind of trying to get more into design shit. And I was feeling a bit like stifled in the city I was like being in Oregon and going back and forth to LA after Oregon kind of made me realize that I never truly left New York Mm -hmm. in a real way. And so I was kind of looking for a way to get out and stuff. And I was like, oh, this could be a cool opportunity. And I hit Darren and he basically explained to me that they were um, building out and he, I didn't know it at the time, but he was working for Tyler, the creator. Um, He was basically the creative director of golf line. And so he um, was, was doing that and he was like telling me about golf floor the new brand that they just launched Mm -hmm. and how they're trying to do more high-end thing and they needed a technical designer for it and i was like yo this could be the opportunity i'm looking for black owned brand young energy like
0: you know more um, upscale
1: yeah like literally trying to get more into the luxury space being inspired by bodhi um and tyler
0: likes interior Type design too, like he's into exactly shit as well. Yeah,
1: so I thought there was, I, I saw a lot of opportunity there, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yo, let's run it." And so I was in talks with Darren for a bit. This is like maybe April or May, twenty twenty one. Yeah, and so our project space least had a few months on it, and I got on a few Zoom calls with Darren and this girl Mina, who was like head of production, I believe, and they explained to me the situation that her and Darren were being brought from wing to build out golf Lefleur, and they needed a technical designer. And so we talked for a few months, zoom and a couple times in person when I was in LA again, and we really meshed and they seemed to like me a lot. They sent me a few assignments just to make sure I could do the work. Mm-hmm. And because of those experiences saying that I could do technical design and having to learn on the fly, I actually could now. So I, you know submitted the assignments did what i did and they're like yo these are perfect you can do what we need you to do cool. and i was like shit like i'm about to have a design job in la working for Tyler the creator like it's lit like mm-hmm. you know and i remember like telling sd for the first time and he was so freaking happy for me but at the same time like i think a little sad that his best friend was potentially gonna like Not leave. To
0: out.
2: yeah
1: yeah, and that we wouldn't renew the space spaces and all this stuff Even though like low key project space wasn't profitable, like we were just putting our bread up for the culture and for us and like to do it. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was what it was a project. It it was like an art project for us. It was one of the most generative things we ever did. We built out the cliff team there. Chain stitch was taken seriously there. Like part like I got to have a studio visit with one of my favorite architects and interior designers, this dude Giancarlo Valle, who I got put in touch with Aaron from Green River, because he needed bags embroidered for his studio and for his employees and so i got to do a studio visit with him at his studio on canal street he got to come to project space we had all sorts of homies you know coming through it was like very generative and i actually have polaroids of almost everyone who came through so we'll drop the project space polaroid book like whenever that's ready that's but cool. uh, it was really cool and so you know it was amazing and i saw this new opportunity on the horizon and Esty's like been one of my biggest supporters. Like, I think we're each other's biggest supporters. And you know, I can tell that you know, like, he was gonna have to grieve the fact that like we would have this split in our relationship in this new chapter in terms of not being physically in the same place. Because I've been part of Cliff since the beginning. Like, yeah, yeah. we like, met and I he could dropped see it
0: that online.
1: Even. Yeah, we met and he dropped the first. He was dropping the first collection, and he was like yo, you want to be in the lookbook? And I was in the first Cliff lookbook, And ever since then, I've been a part of Cliff. Like we always say that like the big original three of Cliff is me, Esty and Mel, because even though Mel, like Mel was always around, obviously Mel introduced me and in Esty, but in the oh. very beginning, in the very beginning from like a technical standpoint, Mel wasn't working on Cliff, but like he also was. And so as things with Cliff start to get serious, I always tell Esty like, bro, like, you know, I put my all into this shit. Like I don't ask for anything in return, but when shit gets serious, I need my shares and I need my art director position, my art director title for Cliff. But you know, as I reflect more, it's like, I think logistically speaking, the way things are lining up, you could call Esty the creative director and founder, obviously you could call Mel the art director cause he deals more with visuals and images. Right. And you could call me design director cause I help with the tech design and like design stuff and mood board and shit so like it's cool to start to realize that like that those are actual feasible titles for us as cliff grows
0: oh yeah
1: amazing you know because it just started with like as the homies brand and now it's like we're actually starting we have some really 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 exciting stuff on the horizon that like we could get into later but so um yeah uh so i had this opportunity kind of bubbling on the horizon And then Darren basically hits me and he's like, yo, we're working on a bunch of stuff and the hiring manager doesn't want to hire someone right now. Basically they were about to hire me. And he was like, you could do remote for a few months while project space lease is still on and then hopefully move to LA and then just like be with us. And I was like, totally chill. Like I'm super with that. And then he hits me one day and he's like, yo, our like director of operations, basically like shit is so hectic. We can't hire someone right now. Um, so just, like hold that down but I like we do still need someone and like you're the only person that the team could all agree on like we we want it to be you still. and I was like all right you know I know how this shit works like that might be cap but like all right Right. yeah yeah sure and I didn't realize it was because the album was coming out you know he couldn't tell me obviously but they had the album coming out so like it was probably crazy over there yeah and then so um the album came out call me if you get lost came out And then a month or so after Darren hits me, this is like maybe July or August, July, August, 2021. And he's like, yo, I think it's time. Like, would you be ready to pop out here for September 1st? And by this time, the whole position had changed. It had went from like junior tech designer to like lead tech. And so we agreed on a higher salary, all this stuff. And basically he was like, yo, you come out here, you meet Tyler you start next week and i was like boom let's run it let's go
0: was that that big that party that like golf la like party time i
1: yeah so on the in malibu like that was the launch of the brand okay um, which happened like kind of recently a few months ago and so like all this shit happens i got open heart surgery in july which is a whole other story i had this heart condition since i was like seven years old and we knew I needed the surgery for like a decade and I finally did it. And I had like three months bed rest, two months bed rest. So like the last few months of project space, I was at home a lot. Like the first time I came back after a month or two on bed rest was to install Shane. It was to help install Shane's show, which was our last show at project space. So I was like healing from that. And basically at the end of my healing recovery, I moved to LA, right? I moved to LA I flew here on like September 2nd or 1st and my stuff was all going to come after me. We had packed, my mom helped me pack up all my stuff and I basically spent all of my money to move to LA, right? Everything I had left.
0: The cost of having the move too, right? Yeah. Everything like
1: just trying to get out there and, um i cut up all my bread because i was gonna sell a bunch of my stuff it was like the first time having nice furniture with the sofa interest and all this stuff yeah, so i was gonna sell everything beautiful thank you i appreciate that
2: yeah
1: so i put up all the bread because i was like you know what i'm gonna have this salary job so i can afford to spend all my bread now and not have to sell my furniture in new york and whatever and i go i get to la Literally my flight was de- do you remember those crazy storms last September where like the trains were flooding and everything and people were posting videos?
0: Oh like- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where it was yeah. like, flowing yeah. into the tunnels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was the night I flew to LA. Oh
1: shit. So my flight was delayed, hell and I was like, fuck, I have this meeting with Tyler and them in the morning, like whatever. I didn't even I didn't get end up getting to LA till like four or five AM. Went to the homie spot, I was subletting for a month. My stuff was supposed to come a month later. I was gonna find a crib, and it would get here like October, because the moving company I went with—they're like you could have free storage for a month oh, wow. um, cool. as part of the move. So it was like cool. I go, and um, it wasn't like terrible, but it was kind of weird. Like I, d- I thought. I, when I was younger, I was always like, yo, if I meet Kanye, if I meet Tyler, if I meet one of these people, like I really liked Donald Glover when I was growing up too. I was like, if I meet one of these people, they'll fuck with me off rip. I'll work for them and my life will change. Yeah, And that wasn't really the vibe. Like, honestly, I won't get super into details. Just like, you know, I want to respect like NBA stuff and all sorts of shit, whatever. But um. It was kind of disappointing. And I remember... You could leaving. say, bro,
0: I, I've heard from mad people that Tyler, the creator, is kind of like a lame. I, 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 I don't know if that's... No, like, mean. so, you know... But he's a weirdo, is what I've heard. Like,
1: I mean, you know what my thing is? Without coming at his personal character, mm-hmm. I will say the interview felt very unprofessional. Mm-hmm. And I was disappointed. I pulled up ready to work. I was trying to build out a Black-owned, young, luxury brand. And that's what I came for. And I was ready to do that, and it it felt like he was almost more pressing me in a hazing style to see if I could be down with the Tyler crew and to be. And you know, I already had my reservations with kind of the way he moves socially, seeing him a bit around in New York and starting to have mutual.
0: Yeah, that's more. And I I
1: came out to LA. I came out to LA, being like, I'm going to separate myself from that socially. I'm there to work for him, and that's it. And I don't want to get caught up in some of the stories that you hear, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I pulled up and in the interview just felt very like some personal questions and weird things that just felt like, you know, (laughs) like just stuff about like asking stuff about like my drug use and sexuality. And then like also interesting questions like, what's your favorite season? Why do you like technical design? Like there was some stuff in there that was really, Yeah. yeah, there was stuff in there that was really about the work, but what struck me and really stuck with me was like he had one of his kids employees bring him egg sandwiches while we were interviewing and was like eating them in front of me like egg juice dripping down like had all the other employees like in the room like kind of almost watching us while we were interviewing and I was obviously super nervous like all this shit but I was being myself and there were times and questions and even the way I dressed like where I was like oh I should conform to what I know he likes and wants. I was like, no, I'm going to be myself. I'm not going to switch up like for anyone. I'm going to be me through and through. And so I was honest about everything. Um, and in ways I feel like I was punished for that. And I feel like maybe, I don't know if he thought I wasn't cool enough or if he thought I wasn't down enough, or maybe it was just the fact that I made it super clear that I have my own art practice and own aspirations outside of working for him. But long story short, like the way I was told that I would meet him, basically sign papers the next day and start like that Monday or whatever. Um, Darren just never hit me back after that, oh, and no. I was kind of just in LA, like, all right, well, That's I just a moved all my
0: scenario. I moved out here, I moved
1: all my stuff, and I didn't, I didn't move for that job. I was trying to get out of New York anyway. I was reaching out to Tyler Hayes, who's a furniture maker and um, artist and has a clothing brand. He has a store in Seoul. You should check it out. It's called BDDW. It's a really sick brand. Mm-hmm. He does furniture, clothing, paintings, all sorts of shit. He has a studio in Philadelphia. I reached out to him to work for him. I tried to reach out to Fiaster Gates, one of my favorite artists in Chicago, to work for him. So I was itching to get out of New York. I was trying to figure out a way. Um, and like I had gotten um, Arthur Jaffa another one of my favorite artists, contact info from like a big homie, Um, mutual, this woman, Lizzie, who's amazing. She was part of this music group, Gang Gang Dance, back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Emma, she was the lead singer in that. Emma connected me with her and her partner, Brian DeGraw. They started Gang Gang Dance together because she knew them through just like art stuff. And so I repaired a crazy pair of jeans for Lizzie, one of my craziest repairs ever. Um, And so we connected through that. And one time when I visited LA, I was like, yo, I know one of you on here know Arthur Jaffa. Put me on for a studio visit. And no one responded and like, I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like chipping, like I'm whatever. And then when I repaired the jeans for Lizzie, she was like, oh, actually Arthur and I are, old. this is like a month or two later. Arthur and I are old friends. Like when you go to LA, I'll connect you with him. And so I was like, shit. So she gave me his info and I was like trying to work for him too, whatever. So I was trying to get
0: out of. Yeah. New yeah. You're throwing your feelers out almost. To see, yeah. Yeah. But
1: I made about. the move because I was like, I have this salary promised. I have, you know, nothing was on paper. It was all like Zoom and email. Nothing was signed. And so I was like, you know, and mind you, like, I didn't tell anyone that that was the work I was going to be doing till it basically, Darren told me that it was locked in. And then I told my family, I told my friends, and like everyone was hyped for me and all this shit, whatever. And then I go and that happens and Darren never hits me. And then like a week or so later, I was like, yo, what's up? And Darren was like, "Yo, I'm so sorry, but like Tyler wants to go with someone else." Mind you, bro. I was told by Darren, and it's all love for Darren. I saw him a few days ago. I know, like, he was just doing his job, and I think it's more a structure of the company thing than Darren personally. I think deep down, Darren really likes me for that position and wanted to work with me and thought we could right, do but something it's not special his call or something. At the end of the day, it's yeah, not yeah. his call, and I've kind of realized the way things are set up over there is like. And this happens, I feel like, with a lot of the homies who have ended up working for celebrities or big-name people. It's like, you have to line everything up and then show it to them and be like, can we do this, you know? And, yeah. like, Darren made it clear that they, been needed the help. You know, Bin, Bin, Bin needed the help and, like, you know, kind of understaffed vibes. And um, so I think it was more like him trying to convince him to be like, yo, we need more help. And for whatever reason... You no, know, I, I I don't rack my brain trying to figure it out because that's life. For whatever reason, like, Tyler wasn't fucking with me. And I remember being crushed. I was like, wow, I'm not cool enough. On some jokey shit, I texted one of the homies who was a mutual. I was like, yo, I didn't get the pass from the king of LA. Like, I guess I should just go home. Like, obviously not, but I was just fucking around. Right. Um, but I was able to take it with a grain of salt. And luckily, just through personal work I've been doing, I was strong enough to not be completely crushed by that. So I was like, boom, pivot. What are we going to do? I hit Kim, who's like my big sister, who was the one who like got me into technical design in the first place. Yeah. I was like, I explained to her the situation. She was like, oh, that sucks. That's life. Let's redo your portfolio. Boom. She sent me her new portfolio. She gave me hell of feedback. I had the big homie, Anthony Hall, who's a big part of my filmmaking story, which is almost like another interview to be honest
0: it's like probably yeah,
1: yeah but he helped me get into my first film program ever where i made my first short film called phony when i was 15 it was summer arts institute a free public summer program in new york where the new york city department of education collabs with these um uh like uh non-profit programs so for the film program they collab the tribeca film institute that's how i got into tribeca film fellows the year after um but aunt hall my big homie who I met through this theater program I was doing the year before when I was into musical theater. When I was younger, that's what I went to high school for. I went to PPAS professional performing arts school for musical theater. I was in a summer conservatory called Broadway for all started by Ash Ganima. Who's another mentor of mine. Shout out Ash, amazing dude. And aunt Hull, Anthony Hull was making a documentary on Broadway for all at the time. Fast forward eight years later, he's making a documentary on me now. is was pulling up to project space shooting. Anyway, he helped me redo my portfolio too. Like he was another mentor I went to. So I had all these resources and mentors to help me out. Redid my portfolio, started sending it out. And at first I feel like I was like, no one's going to take me as serious as a technical designer. I don't have a design degree. I've never been on a design team full time. Right. I am fucked. What am I going to do in LA? I was looking at like, service jobs. Even though I have all these skills like I was back down and out in my head that I was like fuck. And then I just like kind of revamped the LinkedIn, did all my shit, started sending out my portfolio and then like a week or so later I started getting hella caught co- like dude, I was I was like so distraught that I was looking at like carpentry programs, apprenticeships where you get paid like 10, 15 dollars an hour to learn how to woodwork and I was like I'm going to just pivot. I want to do the interior and furniture shit anyway yeah, yeah. like I'm going to make way less money than I thought, but like, let's just do it. But I sent out my design portfolio and I started getting all this like interviews and um, like uh, agencies, like work agencies started hitting me and being like, oh, we have a junior technical design role for you, whatever. And none of it was necessarily cool stuff that I liked, but it was coming in. And I was like, I could actually do this. I ended up getting a three month attempt to hire position at this job called ALC. And my boss, Monica Dividend there, shout out Monica. She was a senior technical designer there. She was legendary and she was one of the first people I feel like to really take a big chance on me. She knew that I had minimal technical design experience, which is part of the reason why I was excited for the Gulf of the Floor stuff because I knew it would make me legit industry wise and I could kind of like learn and grow and take it somewhere else. But Monica was kind of willing to take that same chance on me that Darren was willing to take the chance on which almost felt more impactful because Darren is only a few years older than me and he knows that I'm like air quotes cool and he knows that I get like what they're going for. So it kind of made sense why he would take a risk on me. But Monica, she was just taking a risk on me, like with no sense. Yeah. And she was like, I like your style. I like your passion. If you're serious about technical design, I'll give you this opportunity. Three months temp to hire. I first time on a design team, I was gassed like, It was really boring clothing in my opinion, but they move units. It's a huge brand, ALC, this woman's wear brand. And that was my first time being on a comprehensive design team. We had in-house sample makers, in-house pattern makers, this dude Tanner, who was like a more senior technical designer than me. We sat next to each other and I learned so much from him. And it was boring. I was doing a lot of measuring samples and prototypes and Updating like recut styles stuff that was like kind of easy for me to get my feet wet, but that's where I learned really comprehensive tech tech packs. My first time using Microsoft Excel for tech packs for spec sheets and bill of materials and all the super comprehensive stuff that goes into the really technical side of technical design. Mm-hmm. Um, and from there, like um, while I was out here. This dude, Tyler Adams, reached out to me on the gram. I didn't know him from a hole in the wall, but we had mutuals on the gram. And he was like, yo, basically this like model dropped out last minute for this shoot. Are you willing to be in a shoot? And I do modeling like just on the side for money or whatever. Um, And I was like, yeah, I'm down. And the shoot was for the Union Cactus Plant Flea Market collab. And so I pull up to the shoot and i'm like enamored just by the union team and i'm like yo you guys are so fucking cool black yeah, yeah. like union sick this is legendary and i'm talking to this woman Anoma, i think her name is who's an art director freelance she's just like an og in the game she does a lot of work with jerry lorenzo been doing work with chris gibbs like all sorts of people and she was just like asking me what i do and i was like oh, i do chain stitch and i'm starting to do technical design and she's like oh wow union does a ton of chain stitch like you should tap in with them and see if you could do any work past this modeling shit. And I was like, yo, you're absolutely right. Like, and like that same Knickerbocker era Saji mind kicked in. And I was like, yo, I'm about to ask like how I could be at union. And so I asked this girl, Jasmine, Alexandra, who was working there at the time who has her own jewelry line. Um, like, yo, could I get Gibbs email please? Cause I want to send him my portfolio. And she was super nice. She was like, absolutely, totally, wow. like you should definitely tap in. Gave me his email. I reached out, sent my portfolio, shot in the dark. And Chris Gibbs got back to me and he was like, yo, it's crazy. We're building out the union design team right now for the first time ever. Um, I don't think I have something open for you right now, but let's keep in touch. And so the whole time I was at ALC, me and Chris, like he had me talk to this dude, Jamie Benson, who's the union design director. And me and Jamie talked for hours, and he basically vetted me to see if I could do what they needed to be done. And Jamie fucked with me, and Chris got back to me, and he was like, Yo, Jamie's fucking with you, but right now, what we need more than a technical designer is a graphic designer. Can you do that? And I'm really not a graphic designer. I can yeah. work on graphics, but I'm really not. And like, I would love to be, but there's some, I'm interested in a lot of things, and there's some things where I have to just be like, Yo, like, not this one. Like maybe a few others are kind like, of annoying.
0: It, it, yeah, and it's yeah. like you know,
1: like I do love graphics and I have a passion for it, and I work on my own personal graphics and I help with Cliff graphics here and there. But I would not call myself a graphic designer. Yeah. And so yeah. I was gonna just kind of stretch myself thin and be like, yeah, I'll do graphics for Union. Fuck it, it's Union. But I was honest with Chris and I was like, yo, I'm really not that. I can do it, but I'm not that. And he was like, cool. I'm glad you're honest with me. I think we still will have an opportunity for you in the future, but like. Right now, we need a graphic designer, and so I'm like cool. And then I'm um, at ALC still, I'm like starting to get a little bored. Like I'm learning a lot, but like I don't care about the clothes, and a lot of people there don't really care about the clothes. And the creative design team was on the fifth floor, and the technical design was on the fourth. So we would have meetings with them, but like it felt like the fun stuff was happening upstairs, like the f- the fabric samples and the mood boards and like you know and Yeah. Um, Just because it was such a big and comprehensive company and team, like they were able to have that separation, which is from a functionality standpoint makes sense um, because it was so big. But like I wanted to be more, even if I didn't care about the clothes, I wanted to be more on the fun side of shit. And um, like I'm I'm at ALC and I'm like, damn, did I just fuck up an opportunity at Union by not saying I could to graphic design. Was, yeah, just go with that
0: type shit
1: i was like damn all right well fuck it gotta keep hustling got it and then we get to the end of my three-month period at alc and my boss monica is like yo i'll hire you full-time if you want but i need you to tell me and commit that you're gonna be here as a full-time fully committed technical designer because right now i know and can tell there's other things you want to do you know you're an artist you're a designer and like the technical design has been good for you you know the way we've talked about but like i really feel like your heart's not in it at yeah. least here she was right like i'll hire you if you want but you need to commit and be here full-time technical design because towards the end as i was getting a bit dissatisfied i was like slacking a little not even with my professionalism but just with the actual work because yeah. i would just be in tech packs all day um updating measurements and specs and you know whatever and so i'm like yo you're totally right like i want i want to do more i want to do you know and she was like so go then she was like "I'm i'm being serious when i say this like you're gonna have a long and successful career ahead of you but like i feel like you need to move on like this was great for you but like we need a straight technical designer and you need a place where you could be more creative mm-hmm. which like looking back to it's like yo she was my best boss i had ever had yeah, that's nice man. up, and, that's up nice. until that point you know like up until that point she was the best boss i ever had like the only one that's really topped her is chris gibbs you know and so but we'll get to that so um i'm like all right word i'm out and so i leave and Whatever, and I'm like, oh, I could easily find a design job now because I had that, but I, it was kind of hard like for a month or so. I was kind of this is like maybe February 2022, and I'm like, shit, did I just fuck up by giving up this salary design job just because I was bored? Like, am I an idiot? And I was like, you know, having these interviews and shopping around, and for whatever reason, stuff was like not really lining up the way I thought it would, and then um. I do an embroidery commission for Chinatown market because the only thing I brought out here out of my machines was my chain stitch machine. And my friend Gabriella, who I met out here, she had just started working for them and they needed a chain stitch sample. And I was like, yeah, I'm not working right now. Like I need all the freelance I could get. And I was like, I don't really want to start doing chain stitch freelance again. If I do chain stitch, I want it to be for my shit or cliff shit or shit I really like. Right.
0: And personal patterns
1: exactly and so i was like you know what i need the bread so i'm about to tax the shit out of market and get the sample off and i do it for them and they're fucking with me and i was actually talking to them about joining the team on some design shit but it just didn't really work out but then through that the dude i was talking to there, this dude kyle kennedy who i did the sample for he was like yo my friend michi she's a senior technical designer at frame denim and they were looking for a temp design, designer. And it was cool because it wasn't even technical design. It was just denim design, men's denim design. And it was, part of it was updating tech packs, but it was like design work. And I was like, hell yeah, let's run it. Nothing else was really coming in. So even though it was temp, I was like doing it. And so we're doing it, whatever. And like they only needed me for like a month. And so March is about to come up. And they're like, yo, we might have a full-time position for you, but I was getting ready to go to New York for a few weeks because Lullaby is opening, which is my first commercial interior design project, which I had been working on since maybe around that time, the year before in New York. And then by the time I moved, all the rest of the design work for there was remote, but they were like building out the space and FaceTime and all that stuff. But I was really hands-on when I was in the city. And even when I was recovering from my surgery, the lullaby team would come to my house and we would, uh, we would have meetings and stuff like, which ended up being great because you know life does what it does. I have this amazing knoll, knoll table by Joe Durso. And it's like a 500 pound granite, honed granite table that I got for free off Craigslist because Aaron from Green River, we were talking about trading me doing chain stitch embroidery for a Green River custom bed. And it never ended up coming into fruition just for a lot of reasons. Um, But when we were talking about that and I was like, yo, I have my first crib on my own. Aaron was like, yo, my friend who's an interior designer just sent me this crazy table for the low on Craigslist. You should scoop it. And I ended up getting the table. Basically for free. All I had to do was pay movers 500 pounds. Like they couldn't get it up my crib the first time they had to bring people back. It's literally like, it's this table right here. Like, it's honed granite it's super thin but it's like
0: yeah like it's so- crazy crazy heavy yeah
1: and so it's like literally like shout out craigslist i myself claim craigslist king but it's like there's a circle one on first dibs for $9,500 and i got it for free on craigslist paid the movers like 300 plus tip so like it was a really like it was one of the first crazy furniture pieces i got um and we were sitting at it for the meeting for lullaby and everyone loved the feel of it and i was like yo can we make the bar top out of the same material so now at lullaby we have a home granite bar top which is because we had to meet at my house because i was healing from heart surgery and we met at the table like life shit. and so um lullaby was about to open and i told frame like yeah i'm willing to accept the full-time position when i'm back from new york but i'm about to go to new york for a few weeks and michi was like all right hit me when you're back and frame was cool because it was my first time doing like design and it was still tech design and it was a little boring it's a denim company so they do a lot of like recut styles and new washes and new fabrics but i still was like it was cool to like on paper be like doing creative design and it was in a cool area It was in Culver. It was actually funnily enough on some life shit around the corner from the golf offices. Um, And uh, so I'm there for the month and I get to stack up a bit and I'm like, I'm going to New York. Me and Esty had a project to work on in Chicago with um, the homie Nico, the homies Nico and Apple who run a brand called hidden characters in Chicago. I got to tap in in Chicago with the homie Chaz who does public policy and Casper who does gutter. It was great. It was my first time in Chicago since I was like 12. And then I was also in New York for the lullaby opening. Me and Esty did our first DJ set together since we were shit. Like the first time we DJed together was in Japan for this dude Fern's um, after party for his brand 1K Corp. He did a collab with Reebok in Japan and he asked Esty to DJ. Part of the way Esty got me to go to Japan, even though I was broken, like had job at APC was like, yo, like I could get you these little gigs. Like I have a DJ gig that's paid for. I'll split it with you. I'll split the bread. I'm getting paid to rap at this bar. I'll give you some of the bread to take videos of it. Like he looked out on some big bro shit. Right. And we were staying with his homie Kenshin who does this thing called Tokyo Vitamin. So like we were staying at someone's crib for free. Basically my flight was paid for off to work that SD could get me out there. So one of the things we did was a DJ set and we were shit DJs at the time. Like we were just learning. We loved music, but we didn't really know how to DJ. I remember our transitions were trash, but like, it was cool. It was, we opened up too. So like it was empty, basically. It was our first time DJing together since then for the opening night of Lullaby. We did a three hour vinyl set back to back, and it was wow. insane. Like, it was one of my favorite sets ever. I wish we recorded it, but it was also kind of cool that it was like, if you were there, you were there. Um, but it was like incredible. So, like, that New York trip was amazing to be back there first time since I had moved and lived somewhere else ever in my life. And so I'm there for the month or whatever, and I come back. The frame thing didn't end up working out, but I'm talking to places because of my work at ALC and like the other cool stuff I had done before. And then the little bit of time designing at frame, I was actually getting like good offers from places, but nothing that really stuck out to me. And at this point I was like, the union shit is a dub. Chris hasn't hit me in months. Like they're not hiring me, whatever. And so I'm interviewing, I'm shopping around and I get a great offer from Amiri (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) to, to be on the knitwear design team. And it was kind of this really shiny job. They're building out their design team because they didn't have technical designers before the dude who hired me, who's the senior tech or was going to hire me. who was a senior technical designer. And in my interview explained to me that they go to Milan once or twice a year. So I would have been able to do that. It was great money, really shiny studio with the big basketball court inside. Like everything you think that Mike and Mary was, it, yeah, really yeah. Worked, you know, like really bougie office with like Mike and Mary water bottles all this shit incense burning it was cool it was like a cool space i don't really like the clothes but i was like this could be a spot where i learn and grow right well i got back to new york this this temp agency that like had got me the job at alc was throwing me other offers a different temp agency lined me up with the, the Miri shit i go to the Miri interview it's cool i'm like look i don't love it here but if they offer it to me i'll take it i need it and it's a great opportunity knitwear design which. I didn't have much experience. It was like knitwear and women's wear. And I was like, cool. That was another cool thing about ALC is like, I had just been exposed to like the highest level of fashion design I'd been exposed to quality wise or like luxury wise was Bodhi. And so to be working on like mid-level luxury straight women's wear, no graphics, just like silk pleated dresses and blouses and all this stuff at ALC was like, I was learning a ton. So I was excited to do like the help with the Miri woman's wear, which they were building out and like learn knitwear stuff. And the dude who would be my boss there was pretty young. And he was excited to have someone young who like was passionate about design stuff, but also knew how to technical design. And so I was like two days back to LA from my got back from New York. And um they off, they offered me the Amiri job the day after my interview. And I got up that morning, I was like feeling very blessed and grateful. I swear I was about to take the Mary job. I get a text from Chris and he's like, yo, it's time. Like, you ready to try out, do a little trial? We talked about three months, like half tech design, half creative design, help build out Union Cut. And so I'm also design director on a consulting basis for Undefeated. So you'll get to work on that too. Wow, with sh- shoes. Like shoes also, but just yeah. Undefeated, like their inline house, in brand house. Got gotcha. you. Um, and i was like cool but like amiri's kind of offering me some bread and like i need the bread and he was like what well, they're offering you. and i told him and he was like i'll do that Whoa. and i fucking now i work at union los angeles like i'm that's, a design that's team. so like, crazy
2: yeah it's
1: crazy like it's crazy to go through everything and just think about my own journey because it's really been a fucking journey but like yo black owned brand all black design team like I wish I could talk about some of the collabs we we're working on, but since it's current, I literally can't. Like, I'll, yeah, tell, yeah, you off, of I'll tell you off the podcast, maybe. Like, yeah. but like you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, it is a dream. The fact that we get to work on objects, clothes, shoes. Like, Chris is super open to ideas. Like, tons of sick shit happening. And so we're getting, at the end of this month, it'll be the end of my three-month trial period, and it's going really well. And, like, um, I honestly do have a pending, like, junior interior designer opportunity at a really, really sick design studio here um, that is potentially in the works. So the only reason why I would leave Union is for that, but like I'm really fucking with it. At the end of my three months, I'm probably just going to stay on full time if I get offered it. And Chris basically told me like it's a go. So like
2: mm-hmm.
1: I would only leave Union for that, but I, I was reflecting on it this past week. posted by Union you know, I'm always hopping around and I think I want to really put some time in at a place. And I think this is the place to do that. So like, that's where I'm at. and like, you know, I'm pushing this EP with my friend Harrison, who was like part of surf gang and on the music tip, like we're about to drop that on the surf gang label. They just signed. um, And on the art tip, I've been painting more and I got to show a few paintings out here and just getting more to interiors. I honestly feel like the music and interior stuff is like, a different episode honestly well it's great
0: i have it wrote in my notes but like you're truly like a like a jack of all trades like you really like to dip your feet into every type of like creative work that you can so for me to like to have an interview with you that encapsulates everything is like it's impossible man like your memory is crazy. Like you have every name of every person that you've worked with and like that has touched you. So like, that's just in terms we've only touched the surface in terms of your like clothing design. Yeah, really. So like if we even went into film or music, that dude, that's ours.
1: <laughs> it really is. And like, it's really, I appreciate you reaching out to me for this because You know, being a New Yorker and just the way that society is set up right now, like it's easy to just have your nose to the grindstone and just go, 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 go. Capitalism, all that good stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's nice to reflect sometimes and take a deep breath and be like, damn, like, look at what I've done and how far I've come and like, you know, as I approach um, my 25th birthday this summer, I'm like just really starting to reflect on like my values and where I want to take it and like how I can further expand And I'm just grateful. So, I mean, thank you for like, you know, having me and allowing me to reflect with you. Um, And it's crazy. You say that about memory. It's like, I'm really grateful. I do have a good memory, but um, I've tried a few times, but I just recently like quit smoking weed about eight, nine days ago. Mm -hmm. And I'm super serious this time. I actually have been going to like MA meetings, which is marijuana anonymous.
0: Wow. And, um, I'm really I quit, many- I quit weed too. Yeah, yeah. It's hard. Hey,
1: fire. Congrats. Have you are you familiar with any like twelve step program at all or anything?
0: Well, it's actually funny when you're talking about a little bit like your journey and stuff. Like I've been in intensive outpatient programs before. Um I've been like hospitalized. Um
1: Oh yeah, all that
0: arrested for um, you know, weed, all different shit. So like when you were talking about all that stuff earlier, like it really resonated but i i think the 12 step like certain things they could work but uh for me it was starting to uh resent the drug like when i started to hate weed yeah i was like i would smoke and sometimes it it would make me anxious or it yeah. would work like it used to i was like i'm so i would be upset with myself that i smoked or i would not smoke for a week and smoke and be upset that i did it yeah, And then eventually I think that's what really like made me step away from it completely.
1: Same with me. Same with me. That's where I'm at. And I think for me it's too, it's like just with my desire, like I said, my main goal right now is to be constantly present and grateful. And when I smoke weed, I can't really be fully present. And that's part of my desire of why I stepped away from it. And one thing I will say about 12 step and something I really love about specifically MA, because this is like, probably my fourth or fifth time in program in a 12 step program. Yeah. I had started it, you know, because I had to with the legal stuff and we were doing 12 step in the, in the, um, uh, inpatient program I was in, but like I had attempted to do it. Like I was sober for most of my time in Oregon, which was crazy. Cause I was with all the homies and like Madness. weed is legal in Oregon, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, and like, you know, some of my best friends obviously like smoke a lot, you know. And so that was I've been around a
2: bit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. <laughs> that was a challenge for me. You know, that was a challenge for me. And um through that, you know, I I maintained like some months of sobriety. But when I got back to the city from Oregon, I just kind of tapped in again because I felt like I was doing good. And then in the middle of when we had project space, I got sober again and I was going to meetings. Um and I always kind of resisted 12 step because I was like, oh, this was made by some old white dude in the 40s. Or yeah,
0: whatever. some Catholic shit. This some- is not
1: for me. Like, God stuff put me off, all this. And I've met a lot of people who are like, and I found these this um, BIPOC meeting list during quarantine, and that was really helpful. One of my favorite meetings I got to go to was called Stoners of Color. Um, and that was how I got introduced to MA. I didn't even know MA existed.
0: I'd never heard of that, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, you should definitely check check it out, bro. It's been really, really helpful. It was really refreshing because a lot of the times in AA and NA, I would feel like I had to hide the fact that weed was my drug of choice because someone would be like, oh, I've been shooting dope for 10
0: years. And I'd be like, uh, I, like I never shared. I would never. Yeah. Share. Like, yeah. I would feel go.
1: dumb. And like someone would be like, yeah, I shot up dope for 10 years. And I'd be like, uh, I used to pop hellas in and I used to pop perks and be crazy off the shrooms. But like, now I just can't put the split down. Right. And like, you know, I can't like I'll weed or I can't, yeah, and I would just weed. feel dumb, like saying that. Yeah. And the refreshing part about MA is one you're around a lot of people, you're around people who are attracted to smoking weed. And I think we are a specific type of person and I love potheads, former and current, you know, I think our minds work in specific ways. We're very interested we're curious we think about life in this way. And one thing I do love about weed is it forces you to reflect and be in your head in a specific way. which yeah. can be just an overwhelming, but I think a lot of people who smoke weed have done a lot of self reflection. And so that attracts me about it. And also like, you know, like I said, my higher power is mom. Like I say, not my mom, but I say mom. And like, that helps me too. Cause I don't have to say God. And it's not that I don't, I've had this thing. I used to be very anti-religion when I was younger but I've had this thing recently where I was like, you know, just God as the energy that gives us all life, the life force of all of us, the thing that fly and makes us speak is the same thing that makes plants grow. You know what I'm saying? Like that
0: all encompassing is- name,
1: exactly. And that that's why you know I've learned to appreciate the concept of God, but because it's such a charged word, I've now replaced the word with mom, but yeah. it's the same concept for me. But you know, meeting people who you know have similar concerns about you know like i'm always challenging systems i never liked school i never you know like i want to rebuild systems and structures physically and conceptually you know so i was always challenging 12 step but for me i'm like i had this moment recently where i was like all right it's worked for people for almost hundreds of years a hundred years now you know 80 something years maybe 60, 70 years it's worked for millions of people why am I special? Why am I different? Let me actually try committing to this. And then if I want to after I can change it and figure out new ways to approach it. it works. But for right now, let me just try it. So this time I'm really leaning into it. I found a six sponsor. I, I like, am really going to follow the guidelines of like not being in a romantic relationship for your first year. I'm really trying to like hit meetings every day. I'm trying to get into the steps right away. And part of feeling really comfortable with being able to lead into 12 step this time, I think is because I found MA specifically, like, I feel like I can be fully authentically myself in there. So it's been a blessing. Like I'm feeling really good. I'm like, today's my ninth day back, ninth day sober. Like I'm feeling great. I locked in a sponsor last night. Like I'm meeting really sick people trying to be of service, all that good stuff. So like I'm just grateful. I'm starting to get my memory back. I'm starting to have dreams again. Yeah. yeah. And part of the reason why I didn't want to quit for a while was like, respectfully, I've done all this shit while smoking. So I'm like, I can, I can do this. You know, I can do it. I can be productive while smoking. But like I said, it got to a certain point where like, I was trying to convince myself as to why I did or didn't need program. And I ended up on the fact, like I said, like, I just want to be fully present and, for me personally i can't do that when i'm smoking weed yeah. so that's
0: what i me like a artificial euphoria that i couldn't i couldn't get that level of euphoria than without the weed yeah. so like music didn't hit the same for me or driving or any experience unless i was like it was always better if i was high and and i started to resent that too because then it's like fuck if you're sober then you always want to be high if nothing's as good exactly
1: and that was part of it for me was, like, I don't know, my my mom is, like, pretty much sober, like, not in a program or anything, just because, like, she, that's how she is. Yeah, yeah. And we would always say when I was younger, like, there's so much to get high off of in life. And I used to be like, oh, like, fuck that. Like, yeah, I'm we all, when
0: that. we're kids, we're like.
1: you know, like, I'm about to roll up. Like, fuck that. But, you know, the more I lean into this and just reflect on my time sober, I'm like, yo, it's so true, like. Part of the reason why I was trying to get sober when I was younger, like doing uh, project space and all that stuff, is because I was trying to be more productive, but I like the goal of being present more because for me, it's not about making more work or, or more art or getting more shit done, making more money. Now it's like, I just want to be fully here. So if that is being fully immersed in my work, when I'm doing that, it's that if it's being fully immersed in being like, shooting the shit and being lazy and doing nothing and chilling with friends. It's that if it's like being fully immersed in relaxing or just chilling, I want to just do that. And weed for me was like you said, starting to be like, Oh, I can't do any of these things unless I'm high. And, um, I also just maybe it's ego. I don't want to rely on anything. You know, I want to yeah. be able to like, just only rely on like air and water and food, you know, that's all. I don't want to be attached to anything else. I don't want to go to a country for a trip and be like, I need a smoke or like I need it, you know? So like that was part of it for me as well.
0: Weed is a hard one too, because I think people like kind of make you feel like ashamed, like not everyone, but like even you were saying, like you have friends that like smoke a lot of weed. Like when I go to things in the city, like the concept of like, you don't smoke weed is like, people are still like, what the fuck? And they make you feel like a little bit ostracized if you don't smoke or someone passes it to you. And then it's like, why? But it's like, damn it. That's crazy. That like, it shouldn't even need to be that, that I have to then make myself feel weird. Yeah. Um,
1: But that's also, you know, and that's about the other person. It's never about you. You know, that's about, that's about their stuff. And that was one thing that me and Esty kind of struggled with because like that, like project space, Made our friendship so much stronger. Like, that's my brother for life. Like, I, I would already take a bullet for that dude, but now it's like, yo, know, like, literally, like, blood could not make us closer. And part of that was because we struggled trying to set boundaries and learning and growing, working with each other every day. That was the first time we did that. And when I was getting sober for like the fucking fourth time, third or fourth time when we had Project Base, I think that was my fourth getting sober we had Project Space, I um, there was a few times where I just felt like him and maybe our other homies weren't respecting that. And I was learning a lot about boundaries at the time. And I had to, like, have some serious talks with him. And he respected it. And that's why I love him so much. Because And the times that i fucked up, the times that, like, I, you know, I'm nowhere near perfect. I'm the first to admit that. Like you know, when I went through a situation with one of my exes where like like I had we had realized that like I had been you know abusive in ways during our relationship, and like which was fucked up for me because I was like, oh, I'm not like that, I'm not one of those dudes like I treat women properly, all this shit, whatever, and realizing that like there were times that I fucked up, you know, he was there for me to like check me and be like, yo, like how are we gonna learn and grow from this? How are you gonna take this and grow from this and like really checking me and shit like that and so like that's my man like i check him he checks me and there's no ego with us we could just be like yo like i fucked up yeah i'm not gonna sit here and feel fucking sorry for myself i'm gonna do something about it that's what life is like i'm gonna learn and i'm gonna grow from this and so man i'm so grateful that's really twin man like that's my big brother like for life like we've learned so much together and Like we have some really fucking exciting shit for Cliff on the way. We have another Chain Stitch Cliff collab coming next year. We have like all sorts of shit lined up. Like we're pushing the side note shit for Cliff. Like he's helping me with my personal projects. Like I'm like, I love that dude to death. And so like, I'm really, really grateful for everything we've been through together. We're still just kids making stuff. It's just step by step, you know, like we, is a little thing at a time, one by one, and I look back on how much Cliff has grown and chain stitch and like even Sopa, which I only started a couple years ago, and just like stuff coming with that, and like starting to get more into like making interior objects and home objects and stuff. And I'm just like, yo, know, like man, what a blessing it's been to just like be here for all of this. Like I just feel like I'm a passenger, you know. I'm just trying to be like an attentive and grateful passenger,
0: really. It's good that you are always pushing to put stuff out. And I think that that's really cool, too, because a lot of people will either maybe be worried to not put it out well enough. So they just won't put anything out or they think that they can't even step into a different realm because it's not for them or like they're not classically trained in it or whatever it is. And the fact that you're willing to just be like, no, I know how to do that and then you just yeah. figure it out, I think is, is great. Yeah. You can actually yeah. like create in a bunch of different styles. You don't have to. And that's
1: you know, one thing I really admired. Yeah, exactly. And that's one thing I really admired about Virgil and his practice, you know, like a lot of parts of his work, I didn't like specifically the work, like just preference wise, personal preference, but I really greatly admired his scope and his practice and just his willingness to, dip his toes into, you know, anything and everything. And I think that's been a a guide. If there's one common theme and guiding force in my practice in life, it's just been to follow that curiosity, you know, follow my curiosity and just like kind of go with the flow. And like you said, when I was younger, I think I was a bit more of a perfectionist, um, especially when I started first putting out music and stuff. But I just had this moment where I was like, yo, if I don't do it, I'm not going to do it. So like is the best day. And like, Mm -hmm. that's, My mentality now is just, like, it's not going to be perfect. It never will be. But, like, as long as I start, you know, and that's kind of why, too, I'm trying to start all the things that I want later in life now since I'm young. And it's, like, you know, I just realized, like, if you can just start stuff, it'll exist. And then you look back five years later and you're, like, oh, this has been around for five years. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel with Chain Stitch. Literally, Chain Stitch five-year anniversary is coming in July is from when I made the first Chain Stitch post, like, and really started pushing it um and i'm just like damn like you know like it's been a guiding force for me Is like just do it kind of thing
0: i wanted to ask you what is the cabin
1: damn definitely do your research man wow what a cut what a (laughs) cut okay so the cabin wow that's the cut that's like major part of my music journey um so I had this friend, Lola Rose, who actually lives back out here now. She was in New York at the time for school. Um, she's um, she's an amazing, great artist, like another person that's very integral to my like artistic journey and personal growth. She had just moved to Bushwick, um, like kind of when kids were, our generation was first starting to move over there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and she, she was moving out of the new school dorms into an apartment in Bushwick and it was around like the knickerbocker time super down and out nowhere to sleep kind of thing and i went over there and um i uh i i didn't really have a phone at the time and i pulled up on her later than i was supposed to and she wasn't fully moved in yet and i pulled up to the crib and she wasn't there she was back in the city and i was like fuck and you know i don't want it to i don't want to make it seem like psychedelics have had an integral part in my major like growth points but there was a period where i was like selling acid and shrooms a bit and i like would be around it and have it so i had this little tab in my wallet and this was in my down and out nowhere to sleep era so i was on her stoop bushwick like maybe 10 11 pm deep like an area i'd never really been before at the time I want to say this is like 2016, maybe. Um, and I was like, you know what? If, I, if she's not here, because I went out there being like, I slacked on her. I'm a few hours late, like no phone, really. If, I, if she's not here, I'm going to just take this tab that's in my wallet and see where the night takes me. Because I had nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. So she wasn't there. I'm sitting on her stoop. I popped this tab. I'm like chilling, a smoke a cig or whatever. I'm like, all right, well, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm about to start tripping and like, I have nowhere to go, nothing to do. And Madani, who I met through Estee, I didn't really know him that well at the time, walks past me and he's like, yo, what up? I'm like, yo, what up, bro? Like, what you on? He's like, I'm about to pull up on the homies music show. Like, you should pull up. What are you doing? And I was like, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. out." And he brings me and it's a Mike and A show. It's like an early slum show, 2016. And I pull up and I'm like enamored. Like obviously I'm like tripping too, but I'm also just like, yo, this energy is insane. Like, what is this? This music is insane. Like, and there was like 10, 15 people there, all friends. Like, I think Mike and Ade kind of like, you know, their story is theirs to tell, but I think in ways they were kind of like in a similar situation in terms of like not really having a spot to stay at and like we're kind of crashing at the cabin a lot. And so the cabin at the time was I believe Max and um, who makes music and um, Johnny and um, um, and Isaac. Isaac Baird. Um, it was their crib. And um, they basically were just like had kind of i think they had built it on their family's property or something in bushwick and it was just this little cabin two floors it was beautiful that was another first time that i was really enamored by interior design because it was this small little cabin at the end of this block like at the end of the l train Mm -hmm. and it really felt like the edge of what you could still call new york city it was like at the very end of brooklyn queen's border
0: um like the and, RC, like the end of... No,
1: no, no, it wasn't, I'm capping. It wasn't the end of the L train that's capped. It was like the Halsey stop or like a stop or two past Halsey.
0: My girl used you, to live there. It's yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then you
1: walked hella deep from the train to get to their crib. And it's like all like two, three-story buildings. And then there's little, just little plot of land and a literal little cabin. Wow. And they were doing a lot of shows there at the time. And it became a really integral part of it yeah it was really yeah it's awesome a really integral part for the community as time went on but mike and ade and like king carter and jody and all this og slums kids were 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 making music out of there and so i pull up to this little show like i said it's like maybe 15 people and i'm just enamored by what's going on i'm like the energy here is crazy the music is crazy the vibes are great people are super welcoming like what the fuck is this so i'm like like freaking out literally tripping out about what's going on and um the show ends and i meet mike and ade through madani and madani's like yo i'm gonna go home peace and me and mike and ade stay up there all night on an air mattress and like eventually isaac and max and johnny that go upstairs to sleep and me mike and ade just stayed up all night like talking about life making music they're telling me about slums i'm telling them about my music mike was actually like yo i follow you on soundcloud like
2: oh wow
1: all this shit like and i was like this is crazy and i deeply deeply connected with mike and on that night and the next morning we wake up well we didn't even sleep so we didn't wake up we made like a track or two and i actually wonder um where the track was i remember one of the lines that we kept singing the track was like intentionally transparent because we talked about how like a lot of people kind of were doing this like cool guy thing at the time art was flourishing in the city diy music scene and we just felt like a lot of people were kind of trying to like set up barriers and we were like yo like this shit is about transparency and like that was the track that we made that night and i wonder if that track is anywhere i have to ask mike about that but it's probably long gone but um we stayed up all night and they were like yo um we're making music um at the homies dad's studio today you should pull up in fort green and i was like i have nowhere to go nothing to do so yeah and i pull up and king carter is there and like all the early like fully like whole slums they're the original slum squad and um we pull up and they're working on their first ep ever which was called friends of ours and um, they have this crazy beat that the homies whose studio's dad got on the bass on and whatever. And they're like, yo, you want to get on this? And um, I got on it. And uh, I'm proud to say, like, I'm technically the only feature on that project that wasn't a Slums member. Hmm. Um, it was when I was going by the name Taharka. I believe it's still on Bandcamp. It's called Friends of Ours. Uh, the song is called Twelve. Um, it's a cool track. I'll send it to you. And
0: yeah. that was started
1: start of my relationship with Mike and Ade. And then, you know, the cabin became, you know, a bigger thing culturally for us as time went on. A few years later, there was like, um, the red burns release party there. Um, oh, cool. on nine 11, I have like, there's like a bunch of pictures, film pictures I took somewhere deep on my Instagram of, of that. Um, that night was the first ever live Navy blue performance. Um, it was like, that was like a year or two later also from that first night, but the cabin, like the cabin could be a whole other story. And the cabin was a big part of my journey too. But, um, I wasn't like a major player in the history of the cabin, but I definitely was around and got to witness. It was
0: integral, but not like your creation or something. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But like that,
1: you know, music wise, that was huge for me. And even looking back on it too, design wise, because Isaac and Max and Johnny and all the dudes over there built it out so it could be really functional as like, um it was super small, but it could be functional as like a music performance space and also like a living space upstairs and like tables and chairs and stuff could fold into the wall and all sorts of sick shit. Mm. And um yeah, Isaac makes like guitars now and shit. Johnny is playing cello he's been he's been the cello player for jasper's project sloss and malone one which is like the variation of sloss and malone that has like um cello and stuff for live performances Hmm. um and yeah i mean that was one of my first deep instances of seeing like community grow naturally and to think about the shit that's come out of there from my music Esty's music madani standing on the corner navy blue slums which is now 10k basically um like jasper's stuff you know like like all this shit that came out of there and what it's turned into is like you know to remember being there and thinking on some of the shows there where everyone in the room also, was an artist and made stuff like there were no fans. We were all fans of each other. Right,
0: it was like it's mutual. All
1: just like yeah, and like ECW stuff, you know, like all sorts of, of of shit came through and came out of there. So that was like, that was like the cabin is that was a cut. That was super cutty But you're yeah, up, you're, I, on, you're on you're on. you your no idea. It's it such, such a shit with that one.
0: <laughs> Such an underground like New York hip hop scene.
1: Dude, there's like there's gotta be a documentary or something on the cabin one day, I swear, like gotta be.
0: And like they were doing
1: Johnny and Max were doing something called like an Isaac Slum Rugglers at the time, which was like affiliated with slums and they were producing for Mike and Ade and them. And I just remember meeting Mike and Ade and being so like I keep using this word, but it's an accurate word, like enamored by their dedication to their art practice and curiosity to explore and explain, expand. And I remember they were like trying to figure out just, we wouldn't use the word at that time, but they were trying to figure out how to like market slum stuff and shows. And I remember like mm-hmm. we did a fake photo shoot just with a phone in the yard the next day. And I was like, yo, let's take some pictures you guys could use for flyers. And like, like I was like fake art directing them to like have like trash bags in between them. Cause they were jacking the slum stuff at the time and like them dabbing each other up that they use for like a flyer later. And I have those photos somewhere, but like, And I actually shot a video shortly after that for Mike and Ade when I was really into my video work and the hard drive crashed. But, like, we got to recover it one day. And just, like, it was, like, for one of Mike's earliest projects. Um, It was, like, a song him and Ade did. Um, But, like, yeah, man, that was, like, that was really an era. Like, that was, I I, I think about that time fondly,
0: fondly. Which is great, you know? Yeah.
1: Because
0: you could think about times like that as being like negative because of stuff going on, you know, like uncertainty, but yeah. Cool to look back at it as like a wonderful thing, you know, Yeah, time of creation and meeting people that are dude, meeting people is honestly probably one of the best parts about like uncertainty. Yeah. Like you just end up in places, new places and you're like, Damn, like this person's fucking awesome, man. Like, I can't believe that they do this, and you find out, wow, this person makes music or this person makes like this. That's been fun for me in, in New York, I will say. Is like, you just end up at spots with uh, people that you talk to them, and you're like, holy fuck, you make that? Like,
1: yeah. that's so cool. That was kind of what happened with me and Mike because I didn't realize he was already fucking with me on SoundCloud, and he just exactly. kind of like, yeah. knew about some songs and shit. And I was like, wait, wait, bro, you know my shit? Like, I had just got put on to him that night through the performance, but I was like, bro, your shit is way harder than mine. Like
0: you're fucking with like the shit that I
1: was doing at the time. Like what the <laughs> hell? Like, you know? And so
0: he's so talented. He's dude, Michael, I'm
1: really, really, really grateful to have seen his growth and that he's getting what he deserves, man, because that dude deserves the world. And he's just so humble and so gracious and so giving. And like, you know, like, people grow and stuff and grow apart and stuff. But even with Day just seeing his journey and, like, you know, everyone. And just, like, I'm just really grateful to have witnessed, like, Ade has this line and he's, like, something along the lines of, like, and I'm honored to be a part of this renaissance or something. Like, I'm very honored to be a part of this renaissance. And, like, that's how I feel, man. I'm really – I believe in us and all of us and I feel really – that what's going on right now is so, so special and will be looked at as like a major art movement um, in due time. And like, that's why I was like, you know, even telling you earlier, like what you're doing is so important. And I really value, you know, the work that you're doing now um, and the way that you're a part of things, because like, you know, this is this is it, man. This is culture. This is like, you know, it, it sounds a little cheesy, but also no, not I, at all. Like, it's thank like you. You know,
0: I, the way I look at it, at it is like. I feel like I'm interviewing a lot of people that I view as peers or people I look up to and we're all so fucking young.
1: Yeah, man.
0: And like in 10 years time, who knows what anyone will be doing? And if someone can look back at any of these interviews, be like, wow, like that's where this person was at. Or like, this is their story from that time is like that's important to me because i like that shit when i'm looking up people like i want to see i want to see them young or like i want to hear them talk i want to hear what they sound like
1: yeah i just got back on tumblr for that exact reason because after virgil passed i was just like i went to the very beginning of his tumblr and just seeing like 2009 2010 when he started it like posting early working for kanye and like all this shit like really shitty blackberry photos of them, like in paris and working on pastel and all this stuff and i'm just like yo i just want to start documenting my inspo and like having because i was off the gram for a month or two recently and i was like i still want a place to put images that i create and that things that inspire me so i've just been like kind of dumping on on my tumblr and i don't even really want to put it out there i just want it to be more of an archive but um yeah, man, I really appreciate this. I see things like this as, like, bookmarks in time. Yeah. they kind of, like, breadcrumbs of trailed. So, like, you know, people can trace back and, like, um, build off of it, you know, in the same way that we do with, like, the people that come before us and our ancestors and shit, so. Yeah,
0: I view it definitely like you were just saying with your photos. It's, like, for me, it's, like, archiving and and, like, sometimes – I put up certain episodes and they get like a lot more traction than I would think. But for me, it's like, it's not about the right now. Exactly. It's more so just to actually document it. Like yeah. I feel like no, people are doing it in other podcasts with like big time artists, but no one's doing it with the artists that are like l- behind the scenes, the ones that are making impacts and brands and, and yeah. music and different things going on right now. So
1: yeah. That's one of the reasons why I really respect what you're doing. Cause I feel like you have a good eclectic mix so far of like the full spectrum of like people who are a bit more established and people who are like a little earlier in their careers, but it's yeah. still like, even within your whole scope, everyone's still like kind of cutty. Even the people that are like on the end of more established, like everyone yeah. you've done interviews with is like, you know, and that's why when you hit me, I was like, "Yeah, it's about time!" Like you damn near interviewed like most of my family, all like your and friends. Like, I know, like, yeah, like fucking like run it up, like so. I'm grateful. I knew it was coming, but I'm grateful. I'm really grateful. No, I
0: and I have to say, it's like I I remember even when I was I did an episode with Phil Post. Like we were talking about you he was like, oh, you should interview him. Like, it wasn't the first time someone had said that, but, like, uh-huh. I always know. But for me, it has to – I've had ones where people are like, you should do it with this person, and I, I'm not ready. Yeah. And it ends up being, like, forced, for lack of a better terms. Yeah. And then it happens where I'm like, damn, I'm, like, really interested to talk to this person about these few points. Like, let me do this. <laughs> let me at least try oh. to get in contact with them you've done a lot of stuff. Like I remember I, dude, I was looking at your fucking LinkedIn. And that oh, was, man. and that was how I had like so many reference points. Um, and yeah, yeah. you've worked at 10 different locations, man. Like
1: yeah, a lot yeah. of work. It's been cool, man. That's what I was saying. I, I've jumped around a lot and I think I'm ready to kind of like settle down and like put a ring on a place.
0: So I think you should for a little um, bit.
1: Yeah, a little and I'm, bit and I'm, yeah. And I'm craving that right now. Stability wise. And just, Learning and growing, and I'm feeling like Union is the place, man. Like it's really been so generative for me, and it's I love being part part of things early, and that's one thing that's amazing about Union. It has this really deep, rich history. I mean, it's the first streetwear store. Yeah. it's literally the first streetwear store. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, so but also the in-house brand is very new and relatively unknown. No one really knows about Union Cut and Sew. They've only had a few seasons. and so i'm really excited to try and like help build it out and some of the stuff we're doing is really really exciting like i'm really excited about um where we're taking it so yeah i I think i'm 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 feeling like you know kind of want to post up for a bit
0: yeah i listen i think it'd be beneficial to get some longevity show brands you know when you eventually work i don't know where you'll want to work but they're like Cause it could be difficult. if They're like, "Damn, he only stays anywhere for three months or less." I know it's like you know, and they're like, everywhere. "I don't know if and I'm going to take really,
1: this guy." It's been really, really great for me to move around and learn and grow. But like, I, you're totally right, and I've thought about that myself. Like, and if I'm, LVMH
0: like, is like, this man doesn't stay anywhere. Is for this three dude months? only going to
1: creative direct for us for three months? You know yeah. what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. I definitely do want to post up somewhere, and and I'm thinking, I'm thinking it might be time to to settle down for a bit um which can be a little daunting and scary because i've been so used to like my that's how my brain works is like oh i like this well now let me do it like you know and i'm, right. uh, and I'm grateful for that part of, of my brain but at the same time i'm like yo like there's something to be said about commitment and, and, I, and I think I'm, I'm ready for that so yeah man i'm excited